Welcome to Dragon Talk. The most adult-themed Dragon Talk ever. Dragon Talk PG-13. PG-13 R NC-17. Yeah. <laughs> I am Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. And I'm Jim Zub. Hey! Yay! Jim Zub here. I am your random encounter today. I'm so excited. I love that. We should call all of our in-person guests Random encounters. Yeah, that's right. Like we it. just we just strolled up into them and yeah. <laughs> whoa. whoa. <laughs> See, we're going we're going <laughs> deep already. I've been drinking the maple syrup. Yeah. I, was just I brought say, some maple syrup and he's gone a little like, over the edge yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, it smells yeah, like yeah. maple syrup up in here. The um, sweetness. This is a very adult themed episode because we are talking about uh, two amazingly adult themed things. Oh. Sex and love. No, uh, uh, R- Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty tabletop Whee! role-playing game adventure. Yay! Yeah! This is coming out November 19th, which is next Tuesday. By the time you listen to this. It's out. Listeners at go home, you've it. already got, go get it. It's out there. It's in store. It's waiting on Hit your doorstep. pause and go get it. In North America. <laughs> Maybe they're playing it while listening to Dragon Talk. Maybe right. you are right now. That'd be pretty meta and uh, hard to. Appropriate. So, yeah, so just do some voices so that people can soundboard yeah. it in. All right, so I'll do a. <laughs> Quick uh, little intro or whatever. Uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is a wonderful thing, Morty, and uh, this is the Dungeons and Dragons Rick edition. I wanted to call it Better Dungeon Simulation Mastery, but uh, Wizard of the Coast didn't like the acronym. But it was completely original, and I like it. It's good. <laughs> Reading from the back of the box out? itself, That's right. or the back of the, the, back rule, of book. the rule book. Um, this product, uh, you contributed a lot to it. Kate Welch yeah. was lead design on making this uh, uh, thing. Um, this and thing? This, I, okay. Making this so, a thing. So yep. much credit oh. to Kate because she had to take this tornado of insane, disparate things and make an actual functional product out of it. Like when, when Pat and I did the first comic miniseries or when I'm doing the sequel series, I get to work with Troy and we get to tell a narrative, a story, and it all – Falls in the order that we planned it out. Right. But a game product is going, it's an interactive experience. Everyone's going to put themselves into it and get what they need out of it. That's a very different type of design and a very different type of storytelling. And then we're also doing all these weird meta callbacks and we're doing all this, you know, trope destruction and, and making this uh, mad, insane, twisted dungeon that has to both be making fun of D&D but also be functional as D&D that has to, like, tip the apple cart but you can still actually learn how the game works. Like, it's, it's an insane it was task. A, it was a, a needle to thread, for yep, sure. Yep. And I agree. Everything I've seen of this, uh, especially your performance last night oh, at as Numos Morty. as Morty, <laughs> did so well. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun doing that. It's hard to do that voice for like two hours, though. Is it harder to do Rick's voice or Morty's voice? Um, I've done more Rick, so I'm more used to it. And I can also just like swear a lot more yeah. as Rick, so that tends to get you over the hump. Give, can you give us a little Morty A little right Morty. Now? So he, he's, he, it's all about the cracking voice because he's the young, you know, teen or whatever. So you're like, oh, geez, Rick, I don't, I don't think we should be doing this. So it's, it's a little weird. I, uh, I, 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 I just want to get some treasure and get the f*** out of here. Oh, no. <laughs> so... Yeah, it was so good, and uh, I loved that the entire cast. Uh, it almost seemed as if there was um, the the way you guys were improving. It felt right. like a scripted kind of show, almost. Because yeah, there were these you amazing were kind of falling into these roles, and it just totally. felt, it felt natural, like a real episode. That's one of the things I like. I feel like with this game, it really lends like you you start role playing immediately. <laughs> well, the the funniest thing right from the get go, we get introduced as 
the character as the character. So you've got the play, like, I'm Jim Zub playing Morty Smith playing, playing. you know, Keth Silverson, the, yeah. the rogue. And it's like meta, meta, because you're trying to not just play yourself. You're trying to play Morty's version of how he thinks he should be empowered as a rogue. Like, it's really weird. I know. You guys were all lashing on. I got backstab. I can backstab. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Yep. And I can see in the dark. That's right. Well, the, and that would be the thing, you know. So Kate's playing Rick, playing the dungeon master, and she's reading from the box text, which is already irreverent. And then we're ripping on it in real time. It was just, it was wild. It, it was, was such a weird. It was, so and you're right. Fun. There were layers. There were like yeah, lots yeah. of meta layers. And then, yep. of course, there's Meatface, uh, right. played Meat by Ryan Face. Hartman there, who just. Uh, the new w- character that gets spun into the mix. Yeah. Is, yeah, it was so good. And it ended up actually his character <laughs> being not part of the Rick and Morty show. Right. Allowed you to, uh, all the different characters to react to him in a different way. So what are you yeah. talking well, about? Meatface has always been at the dinner table with us. He's a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Morty was very excited yes. to play alongside. <laughs> Meat face. Oh, great, Rick. He's here. Oh, it's great. I got to get his <laughs> autograph. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. No, we had an absolute uh, blast. The crowd was into it. It totally. was a lot of fun. It worked out well. I don't want to spoil any of the encounters, but there's an encounter where you're on stage and Kate quite wisely ran that room and then got the crowd to like cheer and clap. I know. And I was like, oh. I think they were ready to sing along. Yeah, meta, meta. Like we were just like, you know, spiraling into this madness. It was great. I There was many moments last night where they broke out into applause because something mm-hmm. happened. Uh, and I love those moments during live games when I they're like, just so moved. Chris Chris as Jerry really wanted to tell us his backstory. Oh, God. And we just he was so funny. cock-blocked him so many times so he couldn't do it. It was great. And then uh, Anna uh, Prosser as uh, Summer falling yep. in love with Meatface <laughs> and then being spurned by him <laughs> I thought was wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the video for that uh, performance will be up on YouTube. Yep. Check it out on the D&D YouTube channel. Uh, it's a great way to understand what's in this box, how to play it, how to get into yeah, it. There's not a lot of spoilers. Like, there's certain encounters that show up. But Kate didn't run them in order, so it's sort of little pockets of encounters from the game. Yeah. Yeah. But the way we solved, I'll use solved with big hanging air quotes, it is pretty wild. Like, we didn't ruin any of the riddles and most of the trap stuff you wouldn't get that much from because we just destroyed everything in our own inimitable fashion. There you were playing everything up. More, a lot more content <laughs> to yeah. be had. Yeah, it was sure. awesome. Yeah. And like in all of our stream stuff, like it's, you know, you got to give a taste before for people to to want to jump in. So, oh, totally. You know, yep. I'm glad we didn't spoil anything. But, uh, you know, even and if we did, it would have been, it would have been first fun. level characters is tough. Oh, yeah. Because you don't have a lot of hit points to play with. No. I kept doing puns and then uh, Rick would just do random damage to me. And I was like, I'm running out. I've got to, I got to parse out my puns very carefully in order to make <laughs> you know, you were trying to weigh. I'm going to take two points of damage. Is this one worth it? Is yeah. this one good enough? For will it? I get the applause that will equal out <laughs> my soul? Of losing these headphones. Right? <laughs> so good. I loved it. Uh, so excellent. thank you again for all of your work on making this uh, uh, or helping make this product you know, come to life. Yeah, it, it's been absolutely surreal. The response to the comic, particularly at the start, where we didn't know how it was going to work and how well it would work. And now just this momentum has been phenomenal. And we're really, really, you know, we're proud of the work we put into it. And kind of the way that we can, you know, it's like a a loving jab in the ribs. Like, we love Dungeons & Dragons, we love Rick and Morty, and doing something that allows you to play in both those sandboxes at the same time, you know, the peanut butter and the chocolate and make all the crazy. It's it's so good. (laughs) That's the best. That's how the best things are made. Mixing a little of I do love, you know, a peanut butter cup. Who doesn't love a peanut butter cup? (laughs) Yeah, right. 
Especially if you can pour maple syrup over the top of it. Spoken like a true Canadian. Something that... uh, Elf. We would eat anything if you poured maple syrup. Or just an actual <laughs> hockey puck, which is no. This is how you get your fiber. That's yep. right. Yeah, yep. that's how we do. Um, so, not to be outdone uh, on November nineteenth, there is an entirely other product coming out from Dungeons and Dragons that's differently flavored. Doesn't have maple syrup on it at all. Can you cross Rick and Morty with it? Yes, <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> actually. Yeah. Uh, so it's Eberron rising from the last war. Uh, that is a. Uh, fantasy, new fantasy setting uh, for 5th edition that melds early 20th century history and themes into a fantasy world. So a, a, thousand, a hundred year war has just ended and uh, people are trying to figure out how to live in that world during that. I love it because it's got so much, like again, a totally different flavor from, mm-hmm. from what's going on with Rick and Morty. Um, there's a couple of awesome shows right now uh, that streaming on uh, twitch.tv slash yep. D&D. Um, it is called, uh, the, one of the ones I'm really excited about is Droam and Defiance Wrestling on Hyper RPG. Yes. Um, it is a D&DW wrestling show. They are monsters, and it is basically just like a sports entertainment presentation. That of sounds amazing. These monsters fighting in the ring against each other. Uh, KG Tang as the dungeon master <laughs> also has the persona of the announcer, yes. getting excited about everything. Oh my uh, God. So it is. They've had their first episode uh, last week. It's every Tuesday at six PM Pacific time on Hyper RPG. Check it out if you're interested in it. And yes, a I'm flavor that actually is probably closer to Rick and Morty than, yeah. than uh, yeah. a lot of other Eberron stories out there. Um, But there's also Dark Lanterns, which is uh, produced by the folks at Saving Throw Show, and uh, those are edited one-hour episodes on our YouTube channel, and uh, it is all about a spy organization, new spies, newly graduated, trying to infiltrate a war-forged bar was uh, was what happens in the first episode, Uh, and it uh, does a little bit more like intrigue, like, um, you know, Bond-style uh, Mission Impossible type things going so on. So cool. You know, at, at the start of the Rick and Morty D&D sequel, we have the family watching D&D television, and it's like back-to-back, like the shopping channel and sports and commercials. We're getting closer and closer to that reality every single day. You're literally describing wrestling programs and a spy show all within the framework of D&D. Like, I need, I need the Xanathar shopping network we, now. Yes. <laughs> you know? and we, actually, we need a game show. We clear totes. Let's yeah. do it. Let's, yeah. let's design a game show. We got some game designers in the house. Yes. I think Amazing. they can do it. I think we could do it. Yeah. I, uh, who I would be the host? Like, um, I think Ben Petrosar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's always your go-to. Well, I want him to have <laughs> the really long, thin microphone on uh, Bob Barker. We're getting him a long, skinny microphone. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And I can see him being like, we'll be behind door number three. Yeah. He could be like the Chuck Barris, uh, uh, let's make a deal type thing as well from the 70s. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. I've always wanted to do those types of things. Like at conventions, let's make a deal thing. Like just oh, randomly so go up to people and be like, do you have a D20 on you right now? <laughs> <laughs> Show me your D20. So awesome. And yeah. just give them something for having I it. had, okay, quick anecdote. Yeah. Last year, uh, I was at the Calgary Comic Expo, an amazing convention. And I stay a couple extra days to visit friends because I lived there for a few years. And I'm out uh, having brunch with a friend of mine who's not a gamer and I'm trying to explain the, the resurgence of D&D and how you know, huge it is and everyone's getting into it and he should get on board and all this stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's everywhere. person at the table next to us couldn't help but overhear, and she just reaches over, goes into her purse, pulls out her dice, puts on the table, and she goes, we are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and my buddy just oh my God, looks, and he's amazing. like, what? 
What is happening? What just happened? What is going yeah. on? Did you plant her? Did, yeah. How much did you pay her? And it was all high fives, and you know, it was so oh, hilarious. Oh, D&D pod oh, people. It we was amazing. We are I mean, <laughs> shout out also to uh, Ethan Gilsdorf oh. for writing an the amazing best. article oh that's in the New York Times. Yes. It's you were all over that thing. Yeah, today. in the art section. Yeah, today. Yeah. yeah. We got to get a copy. so crazy. Wonderful photos of uh, a group in Chicago, the Rivals of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved seeing them featured in there. Yeah. Me too. Me too. And then it just hit every single thing uh, that I'm excited about. What's 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 occurring in Dungeons & Dragons It did right a now. really good overview. Like, you, you know, it's a full page in the paper, but they're covering so much different stuff. Yeah. And trying to get people up to speed. And they're never – Ethan did a great job of balancing sort of like you don't know anything about this stuff. Here's the broad overview without being like super pedantic about it. Yeah. But then also very specific about these are the elements that are that are all kind of feeding together to make this – just exciting creative culture. Yeah, because awesome. you, you could certainly go way deep and be like, here you go, yeah. uh, boomers. This is how it is played. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but he didn't, right? And he actually, right. you know, got, uh, you could tell it was written by someone that was uh, a part of the tribe to a certain yeah, extent, totally. right? Because like, yeah. he made a lot of wonderful references. But, but didn't then, go so, like, inside baseball that you were going to lose people. That's what yeah. I loved about it. You know? Agreed. And, and, Knew his audience. Yeah, so good. And, uh, yeah, utterly surreal. And once again, my parents who don't do any of this stuff, they're like, oh, we're going to go buy a copy of the New York Times. You know, that's Aww. all cute. Wait, your parents are Morty? Yes. <laughs> yeah, my, my mom oh my has got a little, you know. A little Morty. Oh, yeah. oh Jim. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very adult. <laughs> adult thing. <laughs> uh, speaking of kids. <laughs> Yeah. Let's talk about extra life. With this. Oh extra my life. God. Oh, Greg, don't forget to talk about extra life. That was Thank a you. hell of a transition. I'm a I'm, hell of a transition. I'm the king of segways. Uh, I have a segue. Home has, that I, I was going to say, no, really, he's the king of segways. <laughs> no. He rides it around West Seattle. And the office, just <laughs> in the circle. It's a freaky circle. Uh, so we have been doing uh, Extra Life for seven years. It has been an amazing run. We raised more, raised more than $500,000 you know, in total. But right now, it's more than $200,000 this what? year alone. Well over two hundred thousand For the Seattle Children's uh, Hospital, as well as uh, many other hospitals within the Children's Miracle Network. We still have uh, pages and things open where you can donate to uh, my page, uh, as well as Shelly's. Uh, yeah, I got a donation We signed a bunch yesterday. of stuff last night. Signed a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of stuff to give away to yep. folks for yep. Extra Life. Uh, there's lots of ways that you can still jump in and participate. Yes. Uh, one of them is uh, folks who have donated to my page. Uh, you could donate $100 and get a shout-out here on this podcast. Amazing. Shout them out. And I'm going to do two right now. Oh. Uh, so I am going to be reading this because uh, I said you had 100 words. Uh, oh, to, to this is one of those? Whatever they want to oh. do. Yeah, exactly. Did so they write it or do you write they it? They wrote it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, here goes the first one. Um, I will uh, say this is from uh, Hanselman or at Gansel on Twitter. Shouting out to the Thunder Mist adventurers from Hanselman's home game in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. The player character names Sparrow, played by Alyssa, Kepsik, played by John, Elise, played by Ty, pronounced Ty, <laughs> Nalazel, <laughs> played by Lisa, Wander, played by Kyle. Shout out to all of you for playing with Hanselman. Yay! Yay! They just finished, uh, uh, what is Heroes of the DQ? The Dairy Queen? 
I yes. hope so. Heroes yes. of the Dairy. Horde of the Dragon so. Queen, where Hanselman was DM, and they are a few sessions into Dungeon of the Mad Mage with John as the DM. And I want to give another final shout-out to the Thursday night D&D group at Hanselman's local game store, The Bolter Hole, in Bellingham, Massachusetts. And he has a final shameless self-plug for himself. His Twitter is at Ganzel. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. I awesome. met that uh, was awesome. I met this person at uh, Hascon in Rhode Island uh, a few years ago, and uh, we've been kind of in touch ever since. Uh, nice. So it's awesome, and what thank a, you so much. And for, a very generous donation. Absolutely, very, absolutely. It's great. Uh, so I got another one more. So this one is from Jason M. Burrows at Punk Junior on Twitter. Are you looking for another D and D podcast to listen to on a bi-weekly basis? Yes. Never fear. Adventure they wrote is here. They are a noir-themed mystery D&D actual play radio drama set in Waterdeep, which follows the shenanigans of the Waterdeep Detective Agency. There's Max, the goblin detective, their mysterious benefactor and trickster cleric, the Countess, a wild-shaping forest gnome druid named Doran, Celine Starr, the tiefling lounge singer bard, and their newest member, Ledger, an accountant of sorts, who would, like, who would absolutely like to rage. Check them out. They're great, and their episodes aren't too long. <laughs> always, uh, always a good... What are you saying? Selling point there. <laughs> uh, AdventureTheyWrote.com. You can find out more about it there. Thank you to Jason Burrows for shouting us out. Yay! Yes! Go we will be having a couple other uh, folks on this here podcast who donated a large amount of money to Extra Life. We'll be interviewing them, finding out all about what they do in the D&D community. Uh, we'll be doing a couple of those over the next few months. Thank you to everybody. Uh, my page is still open. If you want to do a 100-word uh, shout-out, you still can. Go check it out um, at extralife.org. He'll give you that smooth, listening voice all oh, the way across. Yeah. It's going to be good stuff. you got to go in that low register. Low register. If, if, let me know what out. voice. And Shelly, you can do these too. If you wanna... I got a new voice. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I, oh, that was my favorite voice. <laughs> Sketchy, come here. That's my, that's my wife's least favorite voice. <laughs> Every time I do this, she's like, Happy stop anniversary, it. Like, it hurts me on a visceral level really? when you do that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it all the time now. It's, by the way, it's, it's Greg's wedding anniversary. Happy show. anniversary, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, happy anniversary. <laughs> We're all yeah. very proud of you. You're a great couple. <laughs> you guys are great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for um, tying the knot and all that. All oh, that sixteen Sweet years ago. 16. sixteen years. Our marriage can drive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Me out of like- town. <laughs> 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 Uh, all right. Well, thank you for indulging all of that fun stuff. You guys uh, always make it better every single time. That was deep and meaningful. I think we could do an extra life reward that if you want us to wish um, someone in your life a happy birthday <laughs> or happy anniversary, we can do it With in one of our voices. voices. Yeah. And you can request which one. I oh forgot. Oh, this is my other voice. You've got so many now. <laughs> I have like a whole, like a, I'm. Very skilled as a voice actor. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Hello. I love it. It's really nice. Why does this always happen with like super, with really talented people? Whatever. <laughs> I'm like, no, I can do voices, and then like Matt Mercer's like, oh, like his. I've tried to like, what was I tried to do? Bert. In you front did. Of him. Yes, you did Bert. And, and he, I was like, oh my pigeons, and then he like. Went on like this Perfect. whole monologue of Bert, oh like my basically no, Kermit like the every, Frog or Kermit, or Kermit every yeah. character. I'm like, so good. Just move away, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, next time. So yeah, if you want to do a shout out, that's what you should put on your page for for extra life. You can do it as C3PO oh, or yeah. uh, Bert. Happy birthday, little Johnny. <laughs> <laughs>
That's worth at least a uh, hundred dollars for the kids Tell donation. Us. Come on. Yes. Do it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jim, uh, for stopping by. We are going to talk to you during their mid-tros and outros, too, so don't worry about it. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. You stay right there. We will uh, have a sage advice coming up right right about now. There are going to be some bings and bongs that we're going to listen to. Jeremy Crawford's got the advice. We're going to ask him about all the things you put in here and whether they were okay. Whether they're canon? (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. We have a rule specific. um, (laughs) This um, table here called the Critical Fumble... It's called a cafe table. Um, <laughs> okay, is that good? We didn't good. we didn't mention this, but the, the tables are amazing. They're pretty great. Here. Yeah, so we They're won't deep. spoil those. All right. Well, we yeah. will during, during the other ones. Well, yeah. All right. We probably will. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Sage Advice. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Jeremy Crawford. Hey there. How's it going? Doing great. We have our uh, tavern uh, uh, punch, and uh, we're ready to talk about weapons. I, I feel like we should be starting an adventure, because we're, we're meeting here in a tavern now. Exactly. What, who's our quest giver? <laughs> Uh, this punch is courtesy of our interview guests, and uh, those of you listening will be able to hear how exactly to make this drink uh, during the interview segment, but Jeremy and I are cheating and just going right to the sips. Uh, as we talk about how to throw these uh, mugs of tavern punch at each other in uh, a discussion of weapons and how they're used in 5th edition. That was an amazing segue. Dude, I have had like six really good segues today that I just want to like pat myself on the back Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and awe for a few moments <laughs> and the, the podcast will be silent. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. No, that was really good. I'm feeling it. Uh, so yeah, weapons and improvised weapons like... The tankard you toss at somebody. Exactly. How, how does it work? So weapons, there's something every character cares about in D&D. Even if you're playing uh, the bookish wizard who you know, would rather write in their spell book than ever draw a weapon, even then, at some point in a campaign, they're probably going to pick a weapon up. Or they're going to need to get that dagger out and just do something. Yes. And a lot of our rules care about weapons. Like you have references all over the place to weapon attacks, melee weapon attacks, ranged weapon attacks. Uh, you have, if, if you're pl- the DM and you look at a monster stat block, you'll, you'll see the words over and over again. This is a melee weapon attack. This is a ranged weapon attack. Which again begs the question, well, what the heck is a weapon? Yeah, how do we define this? So weapon, of course, has its natural meaning in English. And that meaning holds in D&D, which really means something you use to clobber somebody else. But our rules also narrow it a little bit. In the player's handbook, we have our whole chapter on equipment, and a part of that chapter is specifically about weapons, complete with illustrations of the, you know many of the different weapon types. And there we clarify that weapons in D&D, sort of the weapons that the rules care about, fall into two main categories. Uh, they are simple weapons and martial weapons. And then... Within those categories, they're either melee weapons or ranged weapons. Right. The melee and ranged one is, uh, is pretty self-explanatory because we're, we're using natural English. A melee weapon is you know, a weapon you use up close, like that, uh, you know, that knife that you're about to thrust into uh, that loud mouth in the bar fight. Uh, whereas a ranged weapon is something like a longbow, a uh, crossbow, uh, anything that you're using to hit a target far away. 
I love that you say melee is, is normal English because I don't think anybody would know <laughs> what melee is without Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I know, and and it is thanks to me starting playing D anD D around the age of six that for me melee is natural. It's like what was like one of your first like five hundred words that you knew, right? <laughs> that, that's yeah. right. And thanks to Gary Gygax, I also at a very young age learned the word milieu. <laughs> <laughs> and and what the difference between a halberd and a uh, you know uh, a pick is yeah yes yeah it was a very kind of antiquarian English that I was learning very early on. <laughs> I know friends who who pronounced it mealy because they learned when they were six, and yeah. that's just how their brain uh, uh, learned it. Well, and plus, most of us had never heard it said anywhere, right? Uh, and in fact, I think as a kid, I did say mealy. Did you? Uh, because. You know, we had to guess how, yeah. and plus we didn't have the internet back then. I mean, we're old enough. We didn't have, you know, Google to Google, how do you pronounce this? Right, and it wasn't, again, a word that was said in any other context except in, 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 in Dungeons & Dragons here. So uh, that, that's awesome. So, so there's the range category, there's the melee ca- category. And then, and again, simple and martial. Those categories are a bit more abstract, more having to do with honestly separating out some of the higher damage weapons into the martial category and some of the lower damage weapons into the simple category. It, it Was that really the... Because I always assumed it was, um, you know, uh, weapons that you would need a little bit more training or skill to be able to use effectively. Exactly. And, and you read my mind, you're on fire today, <laughs> that there is also a narrative layer to each of them. And so essentially what we did is we... And this is what we often like to do with our design is pair some kind of narrative notion with also a mechanical notion. And so you are exactly right. Martial weapons tend to be ones that people, uh, even in the real world, generally need some training to use at their utmost effectiveness. Simple weapons tend to be things like anybody can just like, it's a club, you know, and can pick it up and bash somebody with it. Yeah. Uh, but you'll see if you look at the two lists, the highest damage weapons are on the martial list. That's, that's cool. I didn't notice that before. And so we did that because it, how it also breaks down is our classes that are more about being badasses with weapons in combat, they start off with access to those martial weapons, whereas many of our classes, uh, like uh, the wizard, for instance, usually just have proficiency uh, with some simple weapons. So again, we're not only there with our class design and how our class design interacts with weapons, we're not only telling a story like, hey, typical wizard doesn't train with martial weapons Mm -hmm. the way a fighter would, but what it also means is that if the wizard, uh, you know, does want to wade into melee, their weapon options are not as good as the fighters, meaning they're also going to deal less damage than the fighter, and that is also a mechanical goal because we want to make sure that the classes that are all about whooping butt in, in, you know, with weapons, that they are in fact mathematically better at it. That makes sense. Uh, so again, that's, uh, that is the marriage there of, of narrative and, and mechanics. Now, people will uh, rightly point out, uh, if they're very familiar, especially with the monster side of the game, then in addition to simple and martial, there is actually a third type of weapon, at least when it comes to what the system often treats as a weapon, and that is natural weapons. Now, that is largely an invisible category to the player side of the game. Like when the player's handbook refers to weapons, it really is zeroing in on what that book 
presents as weapons. The dungeon master, because the dungeon master is often controlling these creatures with claws and horns uh, and, you know, various other protrusions that they might use to maul people, uh, have access to, again, natural weapons. Although this is something that player characters will occasionally interact with if, say, they're a druid and they wild shape into a beast or if they're uh, a ranger and have befriended uh, an animal who's joined the party, essentially. So, again, yeah, there is that other that other group. Uh, they are not the manufactured weapons that Simple and Martial are, but the system, when it comes to, like, making weapon attacks and whatnot, uh, treats them as such. Now, yet there's another thing I should point out here, because this often creates some confusion. People will wonder, is my fist considered by the system to be a natural weapon? The answer is no. Okay. Uh, the, the game tends to treat only things like claws, horns as natural weapons. And if you're ever wondering, you know, does this piece of this creature's anatomy count as a natural weapon or not, our stat blocks uh, will tell you by having that piece of the creature's anatomy appear as one of the creature's attacks in their stat block. So we, we show you right there, this thing is significant enough that it gets its own action entry uh, and it can be used to make uh, weapon attacks. Our, our sort of soft, fleshy fists, us humanoids that we have, or you know our elbows or whatever it is we're using to make an unarmed strike, our system does not consider to be a weapon in the same way. But you can still make weapon attacks with it, uh, and that distinction often does not matter at all. This is one of those – sometimes there are distinctions in the rules where uh, very engaged fans will notice them, and rightly so, because sometimes the distinction really does matter. But at the same time, this is one of those ones where I, I would love it if people most of the time would just let it go, uh, sing along with Elsa, let it go, because <laughs> most of the time – uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, and like really about the only time it matters is when something in the game talks about like enchanting a weapon, silvering a weapon. That's what I was exactly going to point out was like, yeah, there, there, where it does matter is when it's it's this corner case of do you have the right weapon needed to do damage to this creature type? And 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 usually it is clear in the context that the game at that point is talking about an object. Yeah. Uh, when, you know, it, you know, you're not, uh, you know, at one point... Just pour silver over your fist. Yeah, exactly. Be, oh, I've got a silver fist. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then immediately report to the emergency room. <laughs> 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 or, you know, in the, in the D&D multiverse, you know, the nearest cleric. Yeah. Uh, as you are screaming with the hot silver on your fist. <laughs> <laughs> but I can at least kill that werewolf or at least get a, one good punch in. That's right. Yeah. Um, so it... it that distinction about unarmed strikes usually only matters uh, when the game is is sort of fussing about do you have one of these objects that the system thinks of as a weapon uh, that you know either is going to have magic put into it or 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 what have you. And then and in the monk class, there's a lot of uh, which is the class that uses unarmed attacks of the fist as often as as most of them do. Um, there's a lot of things in there that allow you to. Uh, deal damage to these creature types that need magical weapons or silvered weapons and things like that. Exactly. The monk has some workarounds built into the class uh, where their their unarmed strikes are allowed to bypass 
different resistances and immunities to non-magical weapon attacks. Out of curiosity, was that something that was discovered as you were designing the Monk class for 5th edition, or was that something that kind of was like, oh, we're going to always want to make sure that this is in there? We knew because of work on previous editions that this is an issue really for anyone in the game who is attacking not with a spell and not with a physical weapon uh, because if you're attacking with a spell, okay, you're using magic and you can usually uh, find some way to damage a thing that might have an unusual resistance or immunity. If you're using weapons, well, you can eventually get your hands on a magic weapon, which usually also helps you bypass certain defensive capabilities. But we know in the past that if you have a character who's like, you're not using either. You're using you know, your elbow or your shoulder or your butt or whatever yeah. it is that you're using to make your unarmed strike. Uh, you've got to have some way, especially at higher level, to bypass uh, some of those resistances and immunities because you don't want to have a character who shows up and it's just like, oh... I can't do anything in this fight. I'm I'm one of the most skilled fighters here. I can do all types of crazy things with back throws and things like that, but then, well, no, I can't hit a demon. Yep, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're fine with that to be the experience at low levels because part of the neat uh, character narrative built into D&D with the leveling up mechanic is you're meant to actually have at low levels some of those experiences of, oh, no, I have no way of affecting this thing. And then we provide, as you're leveling up, ways for you to get the tool that will overcome that past adversity. So then the next time you face it, you really feel like you're getting more powerful because like, hey, last time I met this demon, I couldn't even hurt it. This time, I owned it. Oh my gosh, and that's such a great trope, not even just in D&D, but just in all storytelling where you're like, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, done the training montage and now I can finally get what I need to get uh, that I couldn't do at the beginning of the movie in Act 1. You know, but Act 3, pff, nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, a question I get sometimes is, can a creature that has natural weapons still make an unarmed strike? Hmm. And the question is, yes. Any creature in, in D&D can make an unarmed strike, and no matter what the creature is, if you're making an unarmed strike, you use the unarmed strike rule in the combat chapter of the player's handbook. So if, if, even if you're playing like, oh my god, it's the, it's the sentient ball of, of horns that's coming at me, <laughs> even though it's all horns, if for whatever reason the DM does not want it to use its horn attack, the DM could still have it make an unarmed strike which then means it just rolls its you know, attack roll, adds its strength bonus. If it hits, then it deals exactly one damage plus its strength modifier because uh, that's how all unarmed strikes work in the game. What's the advantage of, of doing that? They normally wouldn't want to do it. So the main reason why players bring this up, it's because of typically multi-classing. If you have oh. a, like druid monks who will wild shape into a critter and then want to know, can I do unarmed strikes when I'm in this animal form, even though it has horns and, and all, or some other kind of natural weapon? Because you get the bonuses by doing unarmed strikes. Exactly, as a monk. Uh, and often, often some of the uh, most wonderfully strange rules questions we get are thanks to multi-classing. Yeah. Uh, they, multi-classing, uh, and which is why we, it's an optional part of the game where we don't expect all groups to use it because there are many things like this where the issue will never even come up in your campaign unless someone is multi-classing. Right, because the systems were designed for the classes as discrete, and then if you start to mix and match, then it's like, well, that's where 
these corner cases can just arrive. Exactly. And we wanted to design the system so that the majority of players who we know don't multi-class uh, could basically sort of enjoy the game and not worry about any of this stuff. And then the basically the groups who are ready to sign on for the extra complexity, well, then they will have to deal with some of these corner cases, sometimes with the DM just making a call because we don't always provide rules for every single corner case. Yeah, well, uh, with a complex game like that, it's kind of impossible to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, now, there's another... Uh, area of weaponry uh, that people are often fascinated by, and it goes all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, and that is, well, what happens when I throw the tanker to veil at somebody? I'm improvised weapon. Exactly, because it is an object, and I'm using, I have weaponized this object. <laughs> in, in English, that would be what we would call a weapon. So we have a rule for that. It's the improvised weapon rule. And what the rule is basically that if it's something that was not designed to be used as a weapon and doesn't resemble a weapon in any way, you can still attack with it, but it doesn't count as a simple or a martial weapon. It essentially doesn't have any of those categories that a weapon would have because it's just – it's this it's – this, uh, n- like only partially formed weapon that, that you are now using – you don't have proficiency with it unless you have one of the few things in the game that does give you proficiency with uh, improvised weapons. So it means you don't get to add your proficiency bonus to your attack roll. And no matter what it is, it just does a D4 damage. Uh, and uh, showing that you know a, a weapon, something that's been crafted for a battle, is going to deal more damage than the vase you just picked up off uh, the side table to smash into the person's head. Now, that said, we give DMs a lot of liberty within the improvised weapon rule because one of the things we say is, DM, if a person is using something that is pretty darn close to an actual weapon, you know, one of the simple and martial weapons on the weapon table in the player's handbook, DM, go ahead and just let it count as that thing. Mm. The example we give in the player's handbook is someone might imagine again, typical bar fight, smashes a table, picks up the table leg, and clobbers somebody with it. Table leg, especially if it's made of heavy enough wood, functions like a club. It's basically a club. And yeah. so if, and so I would encourage DMs, if the person wielding that table leg is proficient with clubs, just have that table leg function fully like a club. Um, you can imagine, uh, gra- let's say, uh, imagine an unexpected fight like in a blacksmith's uh, shop and you didn't bring your weapons. And, but there are no finished weapons in the shop, but there's all those tools. Like a tongs or tongs, a hammer. hammer. I as a DM would readily allow uh, the players to grab those tools and have many of those tools, uh, particularly because that kind of tool usually has a lot of heft. Uh, you know, good for swinging um, or, you know, otherwise designed to be uh, wielded in hand, I would allow them to function like the weapons that they are most similar to. And, you know, if a person has an appropriate proficiency, allow them to apply the proficiency and even let that thing deal the amount of damage that that weapon would deal. Uh, I, I encourage DMs to be generous here. 
Um, and the main reason why, aside from the fact that, you know, I always love groups that just, you know, have a great time, follow your bliss, be generous. Right. Have creative ways to, to but, have a fight that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. And that's it. That's the other reason is it encourages creativity. Right. This kind of generosity at the table has kind of – it creates a virtuous cycle where the more a DM says yes to these sorts of shenanigans – Rather than the game like sort of getting broken, it's encouraging the players to think outside of the box, to create hilarious scenes. You know, I think of a recent episode of Acquisitions Incorporated I DM'd where this sort of cycle of saying yes led to uh, the group weaponizing one of the other characters <laughs> and using using him as a weapon. As a club. Uh, yes, as an improvised weapon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, most groups you want those kinds of crazy moves because uh, it gives everyone something to remember, something to laugh about. Uh, again, it's not going to break your game. No, uh, it it gets again much more dicey when you're instead talking about spells and other effects that do things permanently or or for a long period of time to an object. And that's when you know again, I don't please don't silver your fists. Uh, or your friend. <laughs> oh, man. We need to kill this werewolf. Uh, can you have this molten silver poured all over your body and then we'll use you as a club to beat it to death? Yeah, woo, that is some extreme Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> but it's creative. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole other dimension to weapons, and that is their properties. Uh, honestly, you and I could talk a long time about uh, some of these properties. And when I say properties, I mean when you look at the table, some of the weapons will have over in the column called property, there'll be a word that will appear there like light, finesse, ammunition, throne, versatile. versatile. Each of these properties gives a weapon that has one of them some special twist in how you use that weapon. One of the things to keep in mind is unless an improvised weapon is treated by the DM as effectively one of the weapons on the table, the improvised weapon has none of those properties. This is even true for a weapon that you used in an improvised way. For example, uh, you have a longbow and you decide to hit somebody with the bow itself in melee. The moment it basically, its use goes from the use it was designed for to improvised weapon use, the as it's being used as an improvised weapon, basically none of its properties are in play. Yeah. Uh, it is now you just follow the improvised weapon rule. Uh, and a, a cranky DM might even give the bow a chance to break uh, <laughs> because if, if anyone's used a bow, although actually many bows, uh, the ones I've used in real life, uh, are pretty, they, they have enough bend to yeah. them. You, you'd have to hit pretty hard to have it break. It would uh, probably be like a, uh, uh, yeah, the string would probably be the more... Um, uh, uh, vulnerable part of the bow than, yes. the, than the actual bow itself. Yeah, or because you, you, you can imagine like the string getting caught yeah. on, on the person you're hitting. Like, oh no, the the ogre just walked away with my longbow, you know, sort of hanging from its neck. So always unstring your bows before <laughs> you uh, start <laughs> hitting somebody with it. Important yeah. rule of thumb. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some of these uh, weapon properties, uh, it. I also get questions occasionally if natural weapons have them. Mm. The answer is no. Uh, a, a weapon in the game only has one of the weapon properties in the player's handbook's equipment chapter if the rules explicitly say so. Uh, what if a druid wild shapes into a narwhal and their horn is like a rapier 
So therefore, it would have the light property? <laughs> well, yes. So again, yeah, if the DM basically uses that option in the improvised weapon rule to essentially have something treated like a weapon, then that improvised weapon, now that it's being treated as a real weapon, has all of that weapon's properties. But that doesn't, it's not a, a thing that happens for each wild shape thing that happens. You know, it's, it's right. right. It, it's a call the DM makes. Uh, this comes up in particular. Uh, when again, uh, so much of it's funny how many it's all multiclassing. I know. Well, or multiclassing or druids. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny how how often many of these questions do not arise from like the the classes that are all about weapon use, like the fighter. Instead, no, so much of it arises from uh, okay. So I wild shaped into X, and I'm also a monk, and then uh, I cast polymorph on myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, for my w- wizard classes. Yeah. So it, 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 I wonder if that is like a, a, a player quality thing, where like there are you know the people who gravitate towards playing martial characters, they really just want to you know bash something and, and and have the fun of that, and there will be you know some some tactical. Uh, finesse needed with that um, but there is that type of character that loves doing what you're saying of like having oh if I pull in from these different sources maybe I'm a way that I can bend um, you know the rules and the reality so that I can get a little bit more effectiveness yeah and and so one of the ones that comes up a lot from those players who are or are swimming around in, in the wild shape pool <laughs> is alright I've turned into this animal and I can tell looking at the stat block that it's melee attack uses dexterity mm. Does that attack, that natural weapon, have the finesse property? And usually they want to know because in this case they might be uh, a druid who's also multiclassed into rogue and they're hoping to sneak Sneak attack attack with their natural weapon. Now, I gave the answer. The answer is uh, no. Your natural weapon does not have the finesse property uh, and it would only have it uh, if the rule said it did. Um, it's also funny because the finesse property I notice more than any other weapon property is misunderstood because often people will either say this explicitly or they will imply it that the finesse property means using a melee weapon with dexterity, which is actually false. The finesse property actually means you have the choice of using strength or dexterity. So finesse weapon, you can use strength with it. Uh, using dex is not a flag for it's a finesse weapon. Right. It doesn't and, go both ways. It, yeah, like it, the, the definition doesn't apply in, in both directions. Yeah, it's just, no, finesse means simply if a weapon has this property, you choose. Yeah. Uh, and It's like the versatile in a way, where like you yeah. can, whatever is best for that situation, you can, you can use it that way. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not like we designed finesse weapons to just be for dexterity-focused characters. No, there are... There are strength-focused characters who also have good reasons uh, to use uh, some finesse weapons and and can use their strength with those weapons. Uh, So, uh, and, you know, again, there are other places in the game where people will see, oh, this class feature is letting me make a melee attack with dex. Does this feature have the finesse property? And again, no, it does not. Uh, A thing in the game only has one of these properties if the rules say so. And then again, asterisk, read down, let's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, finesse does not mean using dex uh, to attack uh, in melee. Uh, that's, that is only part of what finesse means. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the, some of the, uh, the other f- uh, weapon properties, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, really, the other thing that often comes up about weapons 
is how do I get my weapon into my hand? Uh, mm. It's a really fundamental question when battle breaks out. Maybe you are in that bar. You're deep in your cups. Oh, no. Uh, combat just broke out, and I don't have my weapon in hand. How do I get it there? Uh, our rules are pretty generous where uh, on your turn in combat, everyone gets their move, they get their action, and then they get what we refer to as their free object interaction, meaning at some point during your move or your action, you can do something uh, with an object, including drawing your weapon. So that does not have to eat up your movement or your action, and you get to decide when it's happening. Like you might decide as you're moving, you know, you're dashing across uh, the tavern, you draw your sword, and then you attack with it. Or you draw it the instant you make your attack and you know, like lightning swift motion. We give you the narrative flexibility to decide this. I love when players describe that, like where, like where they're, you know, where they're charging in and drawing or they draw first. Um, but where this gets complicated, I think, is when people shift between using a ranged weapon and then a, a, a melee weapon the next round or, hey, I'm going to get my shield out for this round because I'm anticipating the big bad's going to want to be hitting me. And a lot of people have the uh, ideas from previous editions that that is not allowed. So you can do it. Uh, uh, the, the key is the first interaction is free. The second one gobbles up your action uh, unless you have a special feature like rogues do uh, to get around that. Uh, well, at least thieves do. Um, <laughs> one, <laughs> one subclass. Yes, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but what often people forget is the game does not tax you to, to ever to drop things. So whenever I'm playing uh, a, a character who's focused on weapon use, oh boy, do I drop things a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and which you can imagine people would do in combat. Like I need to quickly get this thing out of my hand and get this other thing into my hand. I'm not going to sit here over the next six seconds carefully putting the thing away. No, boom, on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pick and, it up later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll pick it up next time. But when uh, you say the first one is free, you mean first one per round, correct? First one per turn. Every time you have a turn, you get one of these free object interactions. Yeah, sorry, I used round. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, every, yeah. every time, it's, it's like you get it back. Uh, you'll appreciate this. When we were uh, designing this rule, uh, because, you know, well, it feels like centuries ago, I did a lot <laughs> it of was, it. was, wasn't it? <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not talking about the design. I mean, way before that, back when I was in school, uh-huh. I did a lot of acting. And I used to, in our design meetings, refer to this free object interaction as uh, your character's stage business. Yes, your business. Yes, because, yeah, anyone who's, anyone who's acted knows about, you know, you have your, that little thing you do that it's, it, it it is not your main activity on stage when it's your turn, but it still can be really important to the flavor of your action. Yeah, so going to make a drink while you're delivering a speech or, or uh, you know, walking to the door and putting away your coat while you're, you know, doing something in a dramatic way. There's, there's ways to uh, communicate through action uh, on stage that uh, I think is a big part of, of what you're talking about here. Absolutely, and that, the list in the combat chapter of things you can use, do with that free object interaction. Some of it was motivated basically from acting. Like things, you know, things I I and others on the team know from experience you can do while doing something else uh, because, you know, we're not... We're not sort of single-purpose robots where, you know, I can only do one thing at a time. Often there are these little, you know, nested things we can do. Especially in six seconds where, you know, we often think that it is uh, a short amount of time. But, you know, if, I mean, if I count out six seconds right now, I could do a lot of 
things. I can flip this table, throw it at you, and all types, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's an improvised weapon, of course. Um, it, it is often how furniture ends up being a big uh, improvised weapon category. Yes. Yeah. Oh, poor furniture. <laughs> I think I think of all the furniture destroyed in D&D games. Yes. Chandeliers Alone by Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, boy. And windows shattered. Yeah, all the property costs. You wonder if in some D&D worlds there is... You, know, you could have a guild where their whole job is just cleaning up after uh, adventurers who are making messes everywhere. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. The, the cleanup crew. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we haven't really touched too much on uh, the uh, weapon master, the, the fighter being the one who uses weapons probably the most uh, uh, out of all of our classes. And yeah, so we have, we have uh, three classes in particular that are really great with weapons. Uh, the fighter, the ranger, and the paladin. Uh, they are the classes that have the fighting style feature that allows them to specialize in either weapon use or some other form of uh, you know, non-magical battle. Uh, but of those three, the fighter is the true master. The fighter uh, has access to so many open-ended options, uh, fighters, depending on how you build your individual fighter, could be amazing archers, could be, you know, beasts in melee. You know, one fighter could be, you know, lithe and, you know, built like a swimmer and the other one could be built like a truck. Uh, there's just amazing flexibility in that class. And then inside that amazingly flexible class is the battle master, which is like, you know, flexibility dialed up to 11 where you can do all of these amazing maneuvers uh, that really, in a way, are f- often fabulous flourishes that you add on to uh, how you use your weapon. Yeah, uh, they're they're actually th- all of those maneuvers are very fresh in my mind uh, because recently in Unearthed Arcana we released uh, some new maneuvers and we also provided a more ways for non-battle masters to use them oh. uh, because it's such a rich pool of choice for uh, characters that really do want to focus on just being an amazing warrior that we thought sort of like spells, you know, many classes have access to spells. It'd be nice to, you know, sort of release, release the restrictions a little bit and give a few more people access to this amazing resource. That's a really good insight because there are a lot of um, just anecdotally, you know, I see a lot of spellcasters uh, in D and D play right now, um, and I don't think I've ever played with anyone who has played a battlemaster as a fighter. Just you know, and I know there are the ones out there that really, really enjoy that. And so, giving that uh, kind of really elegant piece of design, kind of it kind of incorporates a lot of what feats were in previous uh, additions um, to the fighter. Um, I think uh, it would be great to be able to see a lot more classes delve into that. And we also know from our survey data that. Uh, of the fighter subclasses, the battle master pretty consistently scores the highest when it comes to satisfaction. Mm. Uh, and I think, again, because people really dig all the tools that that subclass gives because it really embraces this fantasy of mastering battle, of weapon use, of moving people around, uh, really making the battlefield yours. Yeah, yeah. And I want more more uh, people to 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 get that that fantasy feeling. Yeah, yeah. Any other weapon uh, things we can go over? I know we, you and I can talk probably for another hour about this. But 
<laughs> but we're true. out of we're out of uh, tavern ale. <laughs> the tavern punch. Uh, so uh, the others is uh, you know I would recommend people just give a close read to the properties for your weapons. Uh, there are sometimes some goodies there you you might be missing. Uh, like you could be using a versatile weapon and missing out on the fact that if you use it with two hands, you can actually deal more damage. You know yeah. that kind of thing. You have some you have some really good flexibility. Uh, I oh actually another one because I, I often love pointing out sort of. Um, Urban legend rules, uh, <laughs> ones that don't exist. Yeah, but, yeah. Ex- exactly. You know, so I've already pointed out one: this idea that finesse means using dexterity with a melee weapon. That's an urban legend rule. That's not actually how what finesse is. The other one actually is the heavy property. Oh. I often will see people say uh, characters who are small can't use heavy weapons. That that that's what the heavy property means. That's not actually what the heavy property means. The heavy heavy property doesn't prevent you if you're a small character from using a heavy weapon. It simply means you have disadvantage on your attack rolls if you do because it's too big for you or too unwieldy. Right. But you can still do it. Uh, you know, and there there might be times where you know maybe it's a heavy magic weapon and it's it's essentially the MacGuffin that you need to wield and you're the only person there who can do it and you're a halfling or a gnome. You can still do it particularly because there are also ways in the game to get advantage, which will then shut your disadvantage off. Uh, so this, that's another thing that is important to remember is that there are many ways in the game to get advantage, and if you have advantage and also disadvantage at the same time, they cancel each other out, right. meaning that gnome is now wielding that heavy weapon just like it's some other weapon. Well, then I would house rule that you have double disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're just mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably true. <laughs> the poor gnome. <laughs> oh, um, but that's, I mean, you, what's interesting about that is also I can hear the players who are saying, well, it's not optimal to do that. So it's the same as preventing folks from making that and, choice. And it really isn't. I think right. It, and that, that actually comes up uh, uh Occasionally, like you'll also sometimes hear hear somebody say at a D and D table. Although I don't hear it as much anymore as I heard it in third and fourth edition, where someone might might proclaim, "Well, my character can't move right now," and and I as DM might inquire, "Well, you're you're not immobilized. Why can't you move?" Well, if I move, I will trigger uh, an opportunity attack, and it's like, "Well, that doesn't mean you can't move." And so I understand often, often people will state, I can't do X in that shorthand for it's not optimal for me to do X. The reason why I often, though, like to remind people that it is not actually a prohibition, it's not because I'm being a schoolmarm and want them to be correct. No, it's because I want them to remember they have options. Right. Uh, it, again, with my theme of following your bliss, do what's cool, do what's fun. Remember, just because you might have some kind of, you know, hindrance in doing something, it could turn out in a certain circumstance that accepting that hindrance and doing it is actually what's going to get your character and your group uh, to the finish line, whatever the finish line is in the particular scene you're in. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, it's like, just remember, hindrance doesn't mean uh, prevention. You can still do it. And 
it could end up having a mighty payoff if you do. Well, that's the fun of the game to, to uh, for, for me in some ways is just making that mental calculus of like, well, you know, I, 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 I want to do this action, but it has a risk associated with it, but I want to take that risk because that's what this character would do at this moment. Or, you know, narratively, it makes sense to try to save uh, my fallen hero, even though I know I'm going to get bashed in the back of the head by the ogre who's, you know, about to swing on me. Right? You, you would do that, and it's a really elegant way that the rules say like, well, yes, you can, but there's X that could happen, and, you know, maybe it rolls a one. Right. And it breaks its club. And exactly. everything is great after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might survive the whole thing. And if you don't, you have a great story to tell about your TPK. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true of, of uh, every experience in life, not just in D&D. Right? At least you have a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for giving us this uh, overview on weapons and some, some mix, misconceptions, but also hopefully inspiring some folks to uh, jump into characters that use uh, weapons a little bit more and see that there's a lot more versatility, not to steal the property, but you know, there's a lot of ways that you can use them in ways that aren't just you know, bashing people on the head. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. How can people get in touch with you if they have additional questions? Uh, I am at Jeremy E. Crawford on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. And we'll get to another Sage Advice one of these days. I look forward to it. Awesome. Oh my gosh, I just learned so much from Jeremy. Me too. Did you learn it? Totally. You're totally listening to this podcast episode, aren't you, Shelly? I Shelley? always listen to the sage advices and the lores you should know. Yes, you do. I'm going to be quizzing you later. It's a part of the game show it's that like we're going to be developing. It's like the condiments. I like the condiments, but not the sandwich. What? Condiments? Condiments. Condiments? Did you, you said condiments? Condiments. Like, <laughs> there's an N in there. Condiments. <laughs> you were like, condiments. The Cape Condiments. Wait, oh, I can't really... Look, I don't know about cod. your condomments. Is it cod or con? Cod. No, cod. C-O-N-D. How is it cod? No, it's no, con. No, it's C-O-N-D. Are you a robot? Like <laughs> Pronunciation not included. Condiments. So condiments? You come upon, you come oh upon a uh, tortoise. Are they mints or mints? A tortoise in the desert, and it's on its back. What do you do? Flip him over. Okay, okay, good. You're you're human. All right, good. Phew. Let's go. <laughs> oh, is this a test? That was that was a flip test. him over. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> another voice. We have a, a wonderful table, a surprise Uh-oh. table. Are we going to yes. roll on the surprise table? Happening. Surprise, surprise. So this is from uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the oh. Rick and Morty uh, rule book. Uh, Rick made a surprise table that he uh, just 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 whipped up that you can use. Rolls a d12. And I made it a D12 because no one ever uses D12. I'm on board with that. They're precious. They're they're beautiful. I rolled a four. So this is a point at the character who last spoke. Their left foot has fallen asleep, causing them to suffer minus one dexterity for an hour. Oh. That's a good one. For an hour. Can I roll? Sure. Yeah, you roll. All right. Ten. Ten. Uh, An arrow suddenly shoots out from the shadows, hits the character who is pissing you off. Uh, the character takes 1d6 plus 4 piercing damage, and you should reconsider, uh, they should reconsider their course of action. I, wow. I love these tables. Yeah. Wow. Because it's not about, like, which one at the table. It's no. the one that's pissing you yeah, off yeah. as DM. Because it's the DM. Yeah. And that's the key oh. is, really, if the game's ever slow, you just roll a die, look at them, and go, all right, everybody, shit's happening now. You just got hit with an arrow. Yeah. And then you go back and read it, and you're like... It's in the it's because, rules. No, it's because the DM was pissed at me. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Magic. Magic oh, behind all deep. this. It's deep. All right, we are going to uh, 
you know, go on from all of this deepness and get completely sauced. So let's talk to... Yeah, this is pre-drinking. This That's is pre-drinking. the scariest part of all. Exactly. We're going to go to get our drawn and... Uh, My pronunciations get better the more I drink. <laughs> That's why I drink. <laughs> so do you add a lot of condiments to your drinks? How do you say it for real? Condiments. It, now I don't really even know what the right word is. Is it... Condiment. Do you remember the 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 children's what book series? What is it? Just answer my question. The, the Berenstain Bears. <laughs> yes. Remember, it's it's a i n. Doesn't that? Are you from the other? It's it's like a stain. It has oh, been I, that I way this whole time. But there's this weird. You're from the other dimension, right? Where they don't have condiments. They have condiments. 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 How do you <laughs> You're say still it? Doing it wrong. <laughs> condiments. Condiment. All right, we're moving on. Condiments. Let's give a call, and you keep drinking, and then your pronunciation will get better. We would like to welcome Greg Tishin to the podcast. Hello. Hey. Hello, and thank you for having me, guys. This is fantastic to be here. Thanks for being here. Very excited. Uh, you are a, uh, a YouTuber who has been uh, doing things on how to drink, uh, which I often want to know how to drink. Always. Uh, it's, um, as many comments inform me, I, I've been wasting all my time. It's so simple. You put it to your lips and swallow. <laughs> that. <laughs> That's okay. One I get. That's, a, that's one. That's uh, one of the more hostile comments I get. I get that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes, that's the joke. Thank you for explaining it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody accused me of being an attention seeker today, and I was like, I, yep, I'm uploading to YouTube. It's, that's, <laughs> that's, Tell me something I don't already know. Videos didn't wind up here by accident, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It is so bizarre how that how that ends up going. Yeah, you're like, yes, I am trying to uh, make content. That is correct. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been doing it for a long time, too. But also doing a great service, teaching oh, people so much. how to drink. In a way, that makes you know, sense. We should also introduce someone very special. Who? Miss Lisa Carr. <gasps> Hi, Lisa! Yeah! Making her first appearance on Dragon This Talk, is my first. Even though she has been... Five feet away from us for like two years. It's amazing, oh uh, and she's here for a very specific purpose, which is to uh, create some of the mixed drinks that you have uh, recipied. <laughs> what's the what's the verb term for that? Created. I don't Created. Know. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's in, uh, invented. Uh, I cobbled. I so cobbled. these I cobbled it together. These uh, are your own inventions that we're we are going to sample today. Uh, yes, they are, actually. Yeah, they are. I mean, they draw on um, older traditions, but these actually happen to be as close to uh, original drink as you can possibly get, I guess. <laughs> so, I like it. That's cool. I um, uh, And one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on is because you mentioned talking about uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons on your channel, and everyone yeah. who uh, uh, here at the, at the office uh, said, oh, this is a, a person I, I follow and I watched completely uh, unrelated to my D&D fandom, but they love D&D, and this seemed like a good uh, combination here. So, yeah, wh- when did you start playing? What, what was your first experience uh, jumping into uh, rolling dice? Oh, man. Um, so I get, whew, so my freshman year of high school was my first official game of Dungeons & Dragons. I'm pretty sure I was a freshman. Um, I'm hoping my friend Mike is actually watching right now. I sent him the link. But Shout out to Mike. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Mike. Yeah, we love Mike. <laughs> okay, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so he introduced me, and um, he was, uh, it was AD&D 2nd Edition. And it was a Dark Suns campaign uh, in which I was a Thrykreen warrior. And Ooh. I'd never played D&D before. And it was like, I mean, I'm sure you hear it all the time. It was a revelation. You know, it was just like, oh, 
oh, you can, you can, this is amazing. You can do anything you want and the dice adjudicate. And it was just a hugely eye-opening awakening for me and became a permanent fixture of, <laughs> I would say my formative years, but the, the rest of my life actually. So, <laughs> yeah. Nice. So what was it about the Thrykeen that you wanted to, was it, you just get thrust into it or was it like, you know oh, what? that seems yeah, cool. I think, I think he thrust us into it. I think he was like, you, he, I, I honestly, I don't remember. He, he was like, I have a campaign. It's ready to go or an adventure, really. I think I don't think it was much shorter than that. And you can play a Thrykreen or you can play this or that. And I think it was all pretty much monstrous creatures. I don't think we were playing anything that was like humanoid at all. Um, so that was an atypical uh, first campaign to get involved in. Yeah. But then I ran very bad D&D games for a very long time after that. Like really <laughs> atrocious bad games. Why because you were you learning? That? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I was learning. And I think because um, I had I, – I, I, so we're getting already right, we're getting right into dungeon uh, DMing philosophy. I think I was bringing too many of my own ideas to the table as a DM when I was DMing. Like I had a narrative structure that I wanted to tell, a story I wanted to tell, and I put my players onto very, very rigid rails frequently. Uh. Um, and I have uh, since learned that you've just got to let go of that and, uh, you know, set the stage and then get out of the way as much as you possibly can. At least that's my my philosophy on that sort of thing. I feel like that's a, a thing that a lot of younger DMs do, right? Where they, mm-hmm. they, they think like, oh, this is the story that, that, that I want to tell and, you know, we'll yeah. railroad people into it. And then as you get older, you realize you don't have to prep that much and uh, you can just be like, here's a three-sentence start, go, right. and then we'll make it up as we go along. Yeah, and, and actually, actually, I think that if you put too much of your own emotional investment into that prep, that like you can end up creating uh, problems for yourself, where you're you're committed to this thing, or you know, or like solving the problem in the quest for the players and having a solution in, in mind that they have to find. And if they don't, then the game stops. You know, these are like the oh stupid. Oh my god, that's, that's my game. story exactly. You know? Like my first DM story is exactly that. They they just didn't do what I expected them to do, and then I didn't know how to do. I didn't know what to do, so I just like crumbled and died. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we resurrected her, yes. uh, and she's been a great lich ever since. Yes. Oh well, it's, it's I fun mean, at least being you're a, a great lich. lich. You know, yeah, great lich. <laughs> Better than being a demi lich or something. No, no, I'm a great lich. <laughs> you're eh, you're okay. <laughs> I'm an I'm an average lich. <laughs> Mostly you are, I mean, 100 that lich. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even an average Here's lich a is a lich, so yeah, one hundred percent. That lich is very good, actually. That's an excellent T-shirt. That's, yes, it is. That's it. We're making it. That's got it. something. <laughs> uh, speaking of making stuff, let's uh, let's let's have some mixed drinks here. Do you want to start off with one, and then we can we can talk more about your DMing uh, philosophy after that? Sure. Yeah, we can dive back into that. Absolutely. I um, need a I drink. Say- <laughs> no, it's it's uh, afternoon, so it's time. All right. What are so, we going to start with? This is actually a drink that I made up. Actually, for you, because I um, I had uh-huh. talked a little bit about D&D on the show, and then, you know, all my comments were exploding with people talking about D&D, and um, I accidentally implied that I was a, an existing fan of Critical Role. That was a complete... Um, wonderful accident name check in the opening of my Stranger Things episode. <laughs> I didn't know that they existed. Now, of course, I do, and I am a fan. So. Wait, what did you say? Uh, How was- I, I think my cold open on the episode was something like, you know, that the chips are down and we're 
something I was describing like an adventure scenario. And then I said, we're all waiting for a critical role. And I emphasized it in such a way that everybody was like, oh my God, he's a critter. And, oh. I, <laughs> and I had no idea. That's <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. So I, I um, and then you guys said, I should do, I should, you wanted me to come on. And I said, that'd be freaking super incredibly cool. I was like floored and so honored. And then I decided I have to shoot an episode about D&D drinks. So we shot the episode and it comes out on Tuesday of next week. Oh, nice. So this drink is going to premiere on the show, um, well, on Tuesday, provided I actually finish editing it because I'm still working on it. (laughs) All the life of a YouTuber. Yeah, editing all the time, all the time, editing, editing all the time. (laughs) Uh, Which is a lot like my life before YouTube, which is funny. But anyway. um, (laughs) What's the drink? uh, So this is, um, I call it Dungeons & Dragons Tavern Punch. And so I was thinking about how... You would, I would, you know, trying to approach like making a D and D drink. It kind of came, the the. My first instinct was you got to adapt potions. You got to do a potion of healing. You got to do a potion of giant strength. And then I thought about like the games I played growing up. And I talked about how we started in Dark Suns. They were all like very, um, AD and D informed lower magic games. I, I honestly, I really don't think. And Mike's probably going to text me right now if he's watching. Like, no, that's not true. We had potions all the time. Uh, but I really don't. I can't remember, like, w- once when we had a potion of healing in that game. Like, it, and it would have just been the most rare, absurd, you know, some elf would have given it to you for later. And you never would have seen that person. You know, it was like just, I don't remember it happening. So, but taverns are a fixture. And I thought about the kinds of things that one might serve in a tavern. And I think in the episode I keep saying, you know, period appropriate. But there's no period. But, you know, fantasy appropriate beverages. And so what I made was a traditional punch um, trying to swap rum or, or cognac for something lower proof, but also leaning into mead because um, mead mm. feels very appropriate. And a lot of people oh, have yeah. requested mead drinks. But the thing about mead, I don't know how much mead you drink, but it's, it's pretty sweet stuff. It's, it's, it's like Tiny little bits is like a, a nice dessert. There's a style of mead that um, I'm talking a lot now. I'm just realizing there's a style of mead that I think a lot of people are imagining when they think about mead and Vikings and fantasy and you know sword and sorcery. And it's called I think it's a, a braggot, if I'm not mistaken, is the correct one, which is much more like a beer. It's a carbonated, drier, frothy, lighter drink. Very hard to get commercially. So I sort of simulate that by combining a Scotch ale. And a mead, um, a mead uh, <laughs> in a ratio of two to one. So two parts ale to one part mead. Ooh, and it's uh, happening right here. Lisa is I pouring can hear that. the ale. Yeah, you know, I can, and I can see it. And, and I amazing. did this. Uh, did she do it I right? Did, a, <laughs> did I do it right? Did a, did it, it was a great pour. It was a great pour. It was fantastic. <laughs> We just have to underlight it, and you know. Uh, Very like visual night. here. All right, so we poured the ale in, and we're going to pour the mead in as well. Yeah, and then so it's two parts ale to one part mead. Um, now I, I this is funny. I know that as a ratio, and then after that, I went to ounces. So unless you're replicating exactly the volume I made on my show, but you may have. I gave you this recipe in advance. Yeah, I'm just following you. the recipe. Oh, there you go. Okay, so that's good. fine. That's great. That's perfect. That's perfect. Um. This is a first for Dragon Talk, by the way. I don't know if you yeah, realize we've, we've had such before. a visual thing for this before, and we're we're really excited. Oh, we're trying out for Rachel Ray. I think is what we're planning here, right? Yep, totally. <laughs> I think we can. I think oh, we I got. It. I think you could definitely make it happen. <laughs> so while Lisa is is mixing things up over here, what what was the impetus for even starting the show? 
So yeah, okay. Um, so I uh, went to film school, but before I went to film school, um, when I was a young man in the early two thousands, I got a job. I got a gig. I was a freelance production assistant on set at a place called Michael Schramm and Company that is one of um, a big place that makes food commercials, just does what's called tabletop photography. So we shot like the close-ups for Wendy's commercials and stuff and oh, real yeah. super slow motion camera flying in. Like when like, like the my, beads of water dripping off the tomato. My first gig, actually, I'll never forget, was we were exploding salads. They had built like this special bowl with an air cannon underneath it and they were exploding salads oh. because Wendy's had a new salad and then they were... And this is all on film too, which is exciting. We're doing that like 500 frames per second, and, oh. and then they would reverse. They, the whole idea was that the old salad exploded out of the bowl, and the new salad whoosh, sucked in. Okay, um, that's so super I, neat. I, was, I remember those kind of I, shots. I, I they were, they were like in the, fashion for a while. Yeah, then. exploding salads. Uh, exploding salads. Yeah, I, yeah. Everybody was into the exploding salad for a second there. <laughs> yeah. right. It was like hot oh, minute. Very on trend. Yeah. yeah. Bring um, back the Mark Jacobs salad. had a whole exploding salad thing that he was in. Now, anyway. Um, <laughs> But, it was a Ken Burns documentary that used the experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so I guess I just I, – and that's – I wanted to work in film, and then I, I I did that for a while, and then I did some other gigs that didn't take me in the right direction. And then I finally was like, you know what? I got to go back to college. So I went to school. I got my film degree, and then I got out. And, uh, you know, one of the things that they don't tell you film school, if uh, you major in directing at, like, the School of Visual Arts, is that they don't hire directors out of film school typically. So um, – <laughs> I had to uh, find a gig, and a good friend of mine uh, was who had graduated ahead of me convinced me to become an editor, and I did after um, wrestling with that idea and not really wanting to be an editor. So I edited, uh, and I, I, I guess I'm okay at it. Um, so I got into editing commercials and like social media stuff, and I bounced around from gig to gig, and I did that for a long time. And in the back of my head, I had that experience on those food commercials sort of filed away, and I'd been always and had an interest in tabletop. And I also had a interest in cocktails. Um, I was pretty into mixology and just kind of being a home bartender and reproducing some of these classic great recipes. And a friend of mine who was a cinematographer had a free camera for like a weekend and said, we should shoot something. And I said, I have this idea for a show I've been thinking about for a while. And we shot the first seven episodes, but it was really... The first seven? Fine. Yeah, we shot the first seven in my living room in an afternoon. Wow. Maybe it was an afternoon and a half or something like that. Um, and if I look at them now, I cringe. Like, it's so lo-fi compared to where we're at now. I love looking at our old Dragon Talks. Do you? <laughs> do you think about deleting them? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, so, I, well, just to pause you for one second, because we yeah. got, uh, I think the next step here is ready to go, sure. right? Yeah, so this one took me, like, a couple days to make this, the oleosaccharum. Oleosaccharum. There you go. Oh, what is that? Yeah, what What's is oleosaccharum? That? Sugar and lemons. Yum. That's right. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, yeah, so it's an old-timey ingredient. Um, you take lemon, so before refrigeration, if you had citrus, you were in luck, but it was going to go bad in a hurry, and you wanted to preserve it. And different places had different ways to do that. There's, um, if I'm not mistaken, like a North African or Arabian Peninsula tradition of salt lemons, like where they pickle these lemons and stuff like that. But yeah. um, in Europe, they would take the juice and do something with the juice, but then you take the peels and you macerate them in sugar. You just add them to granulated sugar. The sugar is, and I think it's hydroscopic, I forget the term for this, but it's real thirsty. It wants to dry things out and it sucks all the oils out of those lemon peels and then dissolves. Um, and so you end up with a pretty unique ingredient. It's not lemon juice, it's lemon oil, 
So oleosaccharum, really, um, it's fat. It's Latin for oleo is fat. Oh, that's Saccharum nice. is sweet. And put it together. Yeah. Sweet fat. Um, so it's a unique mm. ingredient, but it's like one of the... Uh, and I, I feel like I'm, I sound so dry. <laughs> sound no, so it dry. sounds amazing. No, 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 it smells is, so good. Like it's like yeah, lemony, it right but now. like not the over um, no, kind of like overly citrus that you would get from like uh, zesting in a lemon like or something like that. like a candied lemon. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. Like a candied lemon. And so um, so it's one of the traditional ingredients that really make punch punch. Basically, if you um, – sure, Dave – David Wondrich was around, he would correct me on this, but if I'm not mistaken, historically, what makes punch punch isn't just being a shared large format drink. It's the combination of spirits, oleosaccharum, and nutmeg. If you go back to like the 1700s. Nutmeg. Interesting. I've been yeah, doing it wrong. Spinal. I don't if think you, I've ever you, had nutmeg in there. Uh, if you go back to like what was being drunk by the aristocracy in like the late 1600s, early 1700s, before the dawn of the cocktail, um, there's a great book Dave Wondrich wrote about it called Punch. Um, but that's the basis, basis, you know, real. If you strip it down, it's those three things make punch. Sweet. Um, All right. So what's what's going on next here? What's, yeah, this is a new concoction. So this is the cinnamon syrup. Syrup. Yep. So, so just, is that two? Sorry. Go ahead. No, please. Okay. I basically just boiled some sugar and some cinnamon sticks with some yep. water. That's it. And it turned it into a syrup. Turned it into a syrup. Yummy. It's real syrupy. Can we smell that too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm, I, we, we want all the sensory things happening here because obviously, oh. if people are listening to this, they won't get oh, it. Oh, it smells like a, uh, a stick of big red. Mm. Very festive. Yes. That's does sound like a stick of big red. <laughs> wow. I made that connection, but you're right. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it almost yes. has that exact. Oh, uh, I uh, can like taste bouquet. the big red. So, two parts mm. sugar and mm. one part water. Um, from here, it looks like you used granulated sugar, which is fine. I think what? I usually use. I'm I sorry. Can How can you tell? Because <laughs> it's clear. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but uh, I usually use a Demerara, which would end up darker and browner, but that's fine. I mean, oh. it's going to be – the differences are really subtle. The only reason I use a Demerara in a cinnamon syrup is because you're already adding um, cinnamon to it, which is going to cloud it up anyway. And the Demerara just has a little bit more molasses character to it. Or I think that's the right term. Fascinating. Like molasses character. That's cool. So unless you have the option of it being truly like optically clear, I always kind of like for in when I make grenadine, which is um, in case you don't know, it's not something called from roses. It's it's pomegranate juice, sugar, pomegranate molasses, and uh, orange blossom water, and like very little orange blossom water, like a few drops. It's super potent that ingredient. And you make your own. You must make your own grenadine. You must. You Everybody, must. <laughs> you must. Dude. The stuff at that the That is not some – oh, okay. How you, dare like, you? Uh, regular people buy it, but yeah. you are saying if you want it, the good stuff, you make it. If you go to the store – I mean, now the stores are better. If you go to, like, Whole Foods, you can probably find Small Hand Foods is an excellent maker of grenadine. And um, I think BG Reynolds might have one too. But the, the standard one for years is um, – Roses and nothing yeah. against roses, but like the first ingredient is high fructose corn syrup. The second ingredient is red dye number five. <gasps> like it should be pomegranates, sugar, water. <laughs> you know, it should not be those things. Um, it's very, yeah. It has a much Ooh, I love that sound yeah, of the pouring like, orange juice in there. Amazing. All right, so we've been combining all these into a punch. And what's really cool about what you're describing, and we'll get to the recipe and be able to see all this uh, on your show as well as uh, I think in the show notes we're going to include the recipe in there. But like, you can do this at your D&D table and have like a, uh, a, a thematically yes. punch to serve to your d You could be folks. like in the tavern in your D&D so game. That was my idea. And it was – there's also like a tradition in older taverns like of all sorts where they just sort of combined whatever was around and 
you could buy it cheap. It was a, there would be a barrel of all sorts on the bar. And I thought about that. And I actually got like a three-liter barrel to keep it in Ooh. on my table. And Lisa's um, mixing it up. It looks so delicious. It really does. It is good. I can smell it, too. I got some good smells coming over. The only thing I was going to say, too, is you might want to try it before adding the water. I would say that that's not 100% necessary to the recipe. It's one of those things where a lot of times you would have put it out in a punch bowl and added ice cubes to it. Uh, if you have access to it, and then as they're so you want to simulate that as they're melting, but honestly, um, I just I'm okay with it tasting like that. Let's do it, yeah. yeah okay. I, I dilute it right myself yeah. without any water, and I think it's fine. So, um, uh, we've already told everyone this is a very adult themed episode, but don't try this at home, kids. You probably want to dilute it <laughs> with right. as much ice as you can get. Uh, well, it's pretty, kids. I mean, that's the other thing too. Is I specifically started with beer and mead because once we started adding other ingredients to it, we're going to really knock the proof. I mean, it's not. It's really high proof stuff to begin with, and we're knocking it way back down. So, yeah, I didn't want something that people go. were going yeah. to get like obliterated playing D D because there's nothing I hate more than having somebody at the table who's like not really of sound mind and falling asleep or something. It drives me nuts, right? Sport. I agree with you. I, I like having it as a uh icebreaker, uh, you know, to get people like a little bit loosened up and get, get into their characters a little bit more, but then that can very quickly go, you know, mm-hmm. too far where you're like, all right, let's just not start fights with everybody we meet or. Try to steal everything. Like, let's just yeah. get the story going here. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. So, like, a this, little bit. a fine line. <laughs> a little bit of punch goes a long way. You're going to have to try All right, some? can we try some? Gonna, are you trying some? You, Brian, you want to oh, try yeah. some? All right. Um, what's the name of this again? I just call it Tavern Punch. I don't really have a better name for it. But you guys don't have a, if you have a better name for it, I'll, I'll record a voiceover. Elf Song but. Tavern Punch. Elf Song cheers. Tavern Punch. That's it. There it is. Right, cheers you. Damn it. Could be like dirt <laughs> Virtual cheers. Punch. What's his name? Obviously, I can't pronounce things today. Ooh. Mm. Drist Duorden. Is that who you're trying to pronounce? Dur- the Yawning Portal bartender. Uh, uh, Dernan. Dernan. Wow, oh, my gosh. There's so, so much happening in this. Yeah. I know. Ah, I'm so happy you guys oh. like it. <laughs> A lot of different layers. There really is. So, yeah, you can taste the lemon uh, kind of first, and then uh, the cinnamon, like, now is just hitting right? uh, on, the, on the back end. Yes. Yeah, that was after like what thirty seconds after you take the sip, and then yes. you're like, oh yeah, there's cinnamon. Wait, oh, I got to try it again. I hope no. you're not losing the um, the ale or the mead mm-mm, either. Mm-mm. So. Not at all, because at first, it's definitely I get the ale. Yeah. It's almost like hefeweizen-y. Yeah, yeah, like a like a like With a cloudy cinnamon. wheat beer type yeah. thing. Yeah. But then the I, le- oh, it's fa- the lemon is mm, delicious. I like so that. Happy you could this. bottle your lemon syrup. Lisa. Lisa's lemons. <laughs> She's learned a lot, uh, and as everybody is listening. Oh, this is absolutely it's delicious. It's not that hard to make this stuff, is it? Oh, no. It's super it easy. It just takes time. Yeah. I don't know anybody selling it commercially either, so the market's wide open, Lisa. Jump on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. We'll do that, and the, and then the mead brewing, uh, that's that's going to be a big thing coming what, up. <laughs> what did you put in here that's bubbly? Nothing? I think it's just the, the mead ale? and the ale. The ale, the ale mm. would be bubbling. The mead is flat. Um, did you use... Uh, for your ale, is it from a mm. bottle or from a can? I can't from a bottle. So I have a friend who's a brewer, and he was the guy who kind of because I don't know a ton about beers, and he was like, "Oh, if you're looking for some traditional traditionals, maybe consider using a Scotch ale." And I played around with it, and it worked. But he also pointed out to me, and I, I actually cut this. This is a cutting room floor moment from the episode because I didn't <laughs> think it was irrelevant. But that if you go with a can, it'll have a, a nitro puck in it, like a Guinness, mm. as opposed to it being carbonated, like it's in a bottle. And you're probably closer to accurate if you go with the canned version. However, in the show, I use the bottle. And I actually think that since with everything else going on in there, the carbonation, I think, is 
is welcome. I haven't actually even tried it off the canned version yet. So just food for thought. I have uh, noticed that about canned, especially Guinness, where yeah. it's so much more um, effervescent and a lot more. The carbonation doesn't feel uh, stale in some way. That it feels very fresh when you get creamier, it that way. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's like kind of very similar to the process by which like if you ever get like um, – the nitro brewed, uh, what do they call it? The, all the Starbucks stuff? Yeah, or something like the that. The coffee, which yeah. I think is hilarious because it, they make a big deal about it being nitro brewed at all these <laughs> coffee houses. But if you put, if you want to get the coffee out of, if you want to have it in a keg and get it out of a keg, nitro is your only option. Like, it's just like the machinery. If you guys watched Mad Men or not, it reminds me of when they tell R.J. Reynolds to tell people, like, your tobacco is toasted. That's why it's better. Everybody's is toasted, of course. Yeah. Yes, but we're advertising that it's toasted. That's what we're oh, saying. That's yeah. what makes it better, right? <laughs> like the only way you could get it out of the keg is with nitro, because if you use CO2, it's going to become somebody's very loud machine outside my house. Oh, <laughs> the leaf blowers. <laughs> the leaf blowers. I, if I pop up to shut this door, that might help. Will that be a problem for the no, show? No, sure. Go ahead. Go we'll we'll pause right there. We're just going to keep sipping our drinks. I know, right? They're oh, so good. What I love about this, too, is that it is a... Uh, Again, something that you could oh. make for your players and really get it feel like you're in the ambiance of a real tavern. I know. Right? Yeah, you just make oh, it like I while setting the scene. This is delicious. This like we're talking about it being great in your game. I mean, I think I could just this could be like my good summer drink. <laughs> right. It is a very summery it tasting is. I thing. I think the lemons but are also just making me think of summer. Fall and wintry too because of the cinnamon of the, and yeah, the, the and cinnamon the, and the, the, the Yeah. It's all an right. all season drink. It is. <laughs> all so how many iterations of this did you go through to to get it right? This one's not really a cocktail, it works a little differently. What the the thing that I had to iterate a lot was figuring out what the ratio of mead to ale was mm-hmm. to get the right like I consider that the base of this drink. I probably played with like four or five different ratios. Just, I mean, you know, in a glass, just like pour a little more, pour a little less, you know, back and forth like that. And so I was like, okay, that tastes like what I want this to taste like. And then from there, the oleo, the cinnamon, the um, the orange juice is more or less kind of just the seasonings that kind of you can actually do all of those to taste, as far as I'm concerned, really. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, two complete iterations i would say to get this but maybe like you know uh, a few you know i played around for a while with that base ratio to get that correct very cool very cool so have you done the type of thing that we're describing of like creating a drink or a punch or something like that for uh your players and 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 have that be an immersive moment for for them i haven't actually i mean before now but i am starting a campaign for the first time in a while um actually on tuesday uh on Twitch, so it will be. Oh, you're gonna live, live stream. I'm gonna. I'm, I've, I am. I am. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> uh, I, I have been. I have a Twitch account, uh, and I've been on there for a while playing games, actually, just video gaming and stuff. But I'm expanding what I'm gonna do there. I'm gonna start doing. Um, I'm gonna run a campaign. I got four players. I hope I get more, but he had one person drop out. But um, the uh, uh, so we'll be doing that. What's the stick uh, of that campaign? Where, what are you gonna be basing that on? It's an original setting that I am developing as the game evolves, but it is a lower magic setting, and it's going to be pretty sword and sorcery, some might say sword and sandals, kind of, um, with a with heavy nods in the direction of Dark Sun and um, Conan the Barbarian, and also just like ancient Babylon, 
That's um, cool. Going back to your roots with the dark sun stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have a, I have a just a strong preference for lower magic settings anyway because it's easier to. I feel like when, for me, just like the way my brain works, it's like when when magic items and magic things in general are super duper prevalent. Um, it's like well, then the economy kind of by nature has to stop resembling anything kind of recognizable to me. <laughs> like I just, I have to go that extra step and be like, okay, and then this would mean this and then this would mean this and then this would mean, you know, and, and it's like all it's sorts a lot of like, su- well, suspension of anybody, disbelief. Yeah. yeah. And then I, at some point I get to a point where I'm like, well, then why is anybody a peasant? You know, it's just like, there should be other ways to live your life. But, um, well, that's when you create a utopia as you're setting. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Exactly right. Exactly right. right. Uh, but I, I like you, I, I'm like you with you where I like, um, having a low, not necessarily low magic, but just low resource setting so that, yeah. you know, just the fact of getting from, you know, one city to another is a challenge and an adventure unto itself. So I, I, I appreciate that. We can dive right in. I can tell you that, you know, it's not actually low magic. It's uh, magic is accessible. It's just feared and hated because I actually, what I'm, I've got is I've created a um, kind of expanded rituals chart that I'm, I'm still putting the final touches on, but I'll put it online at some point that allows um, what is like creative ritual casting. So it allows a, a ritual, a caster with the right feet can design a elaborate ritual to can define an effect. It's kind of, my friend told me it's sort of like something that Ars Magica did where you can define a desired effect. I also consider it like strategic spell casting. Like, let's say I want to, you know, flood the kingdom of so-and-so with like, you know, huge storms and just like drown their armies or whatever, you know, huge miracles. You run it through this chart to figure out what the effective spell level is of that effect. And let's say it's an effective spell level of like 18, you know, well above ninth level. Um, And you have access to fifth level spells because you're a moderately advanced caster. You have to then use the other side of this system to develop an elaborate multi-part ritual that might take weeks to bring that down to your effective spell caster level. So it might be like, well, if you have 50 cultists chanting for a month, you know, that brings down one spell level. And if you do it on the first full moon of the year, that brings it down a spell level, that kind of stuff. So That's kind of neat. I love how that, like, uh, uh, so it doesn't make it necessarily um, like a low magic setting like you're talking about, but that you just need more effort and resources in order to put these major magical things and the only people who can do that are the richest people and then they're the ones who can hire the adventurers to get the components that are going to be like just there's so many uh hooks just in what you're describing and so the idea is that it's um the people have a kind of cultural memory of a time when sorcerer kings were like literally just laying waste the continents Mm. you know and reshaping the earth and now have a fear of all magic in general yeah so it it was great because it was like, okay, cool. I don't have to restrict my players. I don't have to say like that none of these classes exist or anything like that. And, and in effect, actually what I do is the one thing I, I the, one of the, my complaints about like super prevalent magic everywhere is that um, it, it kind of, you know, it, it, most of the magic becomes uh, less magical. You know, you can't, there's, there's not like these huge massive effects that are just like reality shattering things. And so it kind of does all of that for me, which those. I was very happy with myself when I came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Sounds like you've come a long way since that first dungeon mastering experience. Uh, thank you. I, I hope I have. So, are you still? Would you? Are you still everybody's least favorite dungeon master? As you you uh, you quoted, uh, that was your quote, not me. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I guess. I guess it remains to be seen. I don't know. We'll find I don't out know. on Tuesday. 
I put out good snacks, so I compensate that way. But uh, I don't shot. My God, that damn leaf blower is so freaking loud. Right? That's right. Oh, it looks like I he's see right it behind, behind you. you. He's right behind ah. you. He's going to kill you. <laughs> that was so weird. That's like a rogue coming. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, that's well, you, you, if, snacks is definitely a good way to get uh, players on your side, as well as uh, having drinks sure. like this. So, I, so yeah, I have. Uh, I don't really shy away from killing player characters. <laughs> there's like this. I, I, I think it's interesting that there's a. I don't know. There's like a lot of um, think pieces I've read, or I don't know think pieces, but like dumb dungeon mastering advice about like, hey, only kill players when it serves the story kill player characters never kill players uh but only kill uh you know player characters should die when it serves the story when it's dramatic when it you know works blah, blah, blah. and i actually i think that that to me for me personally that is all speaking to that trappings of the dungeon master who's got a specific narrative in mind that they're trying to tell and it is removing the collaborative aspect of it i, I don't know it, it it's an issue also for me with like video games where i remember a lot of the games in my youth um they were brutally hard, and I would replay the same level or the same boss fight or the same encounter like in Fallout 1 and 2 like a thousand times to try and, and finally figure out just the right way to, to do it. And then it was extremely rewarding. Um, when I'm in a game and I know that the dungeon master is um, – and I think this is – you know, I think Matt Koval talks about this too. If you know that the dungeon master is fudging the dice to your benefit, then it really kind of – there's no, uh, I mean, there's no dopamine response for when you finally succeed and escape the lich's dungeon or whatever. I mean, um, it's a fine line too there too because you can, you know, it's like it's like introducing puzzles into your game. They're great yes. when you solve them, right. but yes. sometimes leading up and not being able to solve the puzzle can end up having a really frustrating experience for your for your players and for you, right? And so I, I think it's the same way with player death and things like that, where, like, it can be great if you're getting to a point where everyone's dying all the time. It can just be like, well, this, this sucks. This, I'm well, not getting totally, that dopamine ever. Right, that's a different thing. And I guess the one place I will fudge the dice or whatever, but I won't even be like, I fudged the dice. I usually do it as, like, a negotiation where it's like, I messed up. This encounter is not at all what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> something went wrong here. Uh, we need to pause for a second. I'm going to make some modifications to the way this is going. And, you know, and then we'll pr- proceed, you know, like right. uh, that. But on the other hand, I like, I kind of think that like, just as a player for me and stuff like that, I feel like the most rewarding games and it's, it goes the other way too. When the players succeed beyond my expectations, when they destroy my big bad in the first encounter, when he was just supposed to like stand on a cliff and cackle at them maniacally or whatever. Um, like, you know what? We're just going to kill him right now. It's done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's I, right to the end. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't steal from them their agency and say, like, damn it, I really need that guy to be around for a while. Um, it's just the story goes in a different direction. And so it's the same way. I, like, I feel like for the verisimilitude and for me to become invested in a setting, and I hope that the truth is, same is true with my players, like, you just kind of have to, like, for the most part, let the rules play out as they do. I hear you. I hear you. So I think we got a second drink we got we got going here. What's going on, Lisa? Yeah, I've got three egg whites in here. <laughs> no, what? Why? Well, I because I'm making three of these, can I do it all at the same time or should I do it one at a time? That's a good question. How big is your shaker? I think you're going to have a hard time doing all three at once. 16 I mean, ounces? I would do one at a time, I'm all afraid. All right. Let's do it. We're learning on the fly. Ounce, how many ounces is one egg white, do you guys? Typically an ounce. It's okay. roughly an ounce. 
I didn't know that. I didn't know egg whites were an ounce and an egg. That makes sense, though. This is a very educational podcast. It really depends on how big your eggs are. And actually, a lot of bars will just standardize it. They will have like a big squeeze bottle of all of the Knight's egg whites, and they'll just measure Squeeze bottle of egg whites? Mm-hmm. Did you ever work in a bar? Are you peeing over? <laughs> <laughs> That's my lemon juice. <laughs> That's what you and, call uh, it, Lisa. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't you do that on the show because it. it's kind of visually unappealing, actually. Squirting <laughs> lemon juice into a shaker. Squirting? No, squirting. Oh, egg the egg whites. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's like having uh, a mayonnaise so squeeze out. And you're like, mm, this is so great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense though from a high volume, bar, enough high volume bar, Thank because you. like. Separating an egg white one at a time is like a good time. I feel like you were just uh, you were just milking milking the egg white. There. I'm just milking invisible chickens. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lisa, what else did you just put in there? We've got grenadine. I did not make it myself. We just pretend I you did. Yeah. I can't believe you made it yourself. That's so great. You it took a very long really time. <laughs> you cast a spell and and created uh, bespoke grenadine. I did make this hibiscus tea. Cinnamon syrup. <laughs> that looks like a brain in a jar over there. What is it? Is that hibiscus tea? Yes. <gasps> hibiscus. My goodness. I'm, I'm, These are... I want to get hibiscus. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to. <laughs> hibiscus. It is Seattle, after all. <laughs> uh, so what's this drink that she's making? Yeah, what's this one called? I call it a cobalt cooler. Oh, good name. That is good. It's now, for um, lower level players who might be underage. So. Got it. So are um, are these drinks also? Is this one premiering on Tuesday on your D and D? Yes, show? it's a it's a two parter episode, so it'll be both in that episode. And okay. uh, unfortunately, there's really no way to pre batch this one. It was. Uh, so yeah, so you're not drinking it along with us. Is that what you're saying? That's all right. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, uh, but also, uh, there's no way to like you couldn't make. I don't think you could do a huge batch of this and have it on standby for your players. It really it works when it's shaking in the in the glass. Oh, okay. Um, oh. And and this one's a non-alcoholic one. You said it is non-alcoholic. Uh, so Shake I'm that shaking very vigorously. it. Okay. Vigorously. So what does yeah. having an egg white in a drink do for the drink? So. Um, it's going to change the texture. It's going to allow air. I mean, in it's going to do all the things egg whites do in food. So it's going to allow you to actually directly incorporate air into the into the liquid and keep it there, which you will experience as having a frothy, foamy, almost milkshake-like It's experience. very frothy. Ooh. Yeah, that's that looking great. good. It's looking good. I've never used a clear shaker uh, to see my dry shake. So I don't actually, that sounds, that looks right. Great. <laughs> I'm guessing. It looks tasty. It's yeah. got like this pink froth, like almost like four or three you know, inches of it uh, above where the uh, grenadine and the other. So now you want to put ice in that probably. Yep. Ice is good. Or you can just so cast like a sh- frost spell. <laughs> Here we go. Sounds like the dice falling on our heads. So I In 3.5, we had permanence. And I had a uh, permanence was like a meta spell you could just be like okay I'm gonna make this spell permanent and we definitely created a bar that we ran <laughs> we had a bunch of like freezers and stuff like that that were just like ice chests that were permanently cold inside and it was like it was great we had oh, cold beer genius. we were the only people who had the cold beer it was like a side operation oh like, nice rogue who had I think I has hired a wizard to do it for me <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome I do remember permanence as being like a really interesting fun thing you got unlocked at higher levels you're like wait we can do that and make like uh, uh, anything permanent yeah that's what, well, that was like why I, that specifically was what I was looking for, and I didn't find it. That's why I started working on the whole meta magic. Oh, really? Uh, the spell cast. Yeah, because I wanted, like, 
I just wanted like what I would call strategic spellcasting, strategic level as opposed to tactical level spellcasting. The idea that like some cabal of wizards somewhere could be doing something that would ensure a good crop this year or call down a plague on their enemies or whatever far, yeah. far away and have it just last for a really long time. Right. Okay. That's a good, it's a good word for it. Strategic. All right. What, yes, let's do this. All right. So I've shaken it vigorously for 20 seconds with ice in it. Okay. Not it stirred. It's very foamy. Okay. Is that now good? Pour that, yeah, that's great. That's okay. fantastic. Pour that into a glass. There we go. Beautiful. Nice color. <laughs> Sound. <laughs> exactly. It's like... All the foam is... Uh, Staying inside. In Staying do we inside. want the foam to come out? You do want it as much of it as possible. I think that that shaker may be... It can't, that, the top comes off, doesn't it? Yep. It does, but if you don't have a strainer, you're going to be in trouble. We don't. Uh-oh. Well, it'll be what it is. Oh, because the ice will go along with it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you probably... I mean, it's okay if the ice goes in, I guess. It's ideally... Yeah, you're getting some foam that way. There you go. I tried. Oh, I can't wait. It's all it's like, like... strawberry foam. I know. I Really, it's going to be tasty. You can have the first one. <laughs> oh, that's I was like they're doing the Hans Zimmer like soundtrack sound. It's leaf blower season. Well, I'm still enjoying this mead drink because this is tasty. really delicious. Is I live tasty. in a condo, guys. I got no control over when the leaf blower guy comes over. I have no Stupid idea. HOA. Good he's there. <laughs> Take it up with the HOA, the board president. <laughs> I'm a renter. I can't. Here's the finished yeah. product. Does this look right it's to you? It's not finished yet. Yeah, oh. add some Ooh. to it. More? Ooh. What yeah. is that you're adding? Uh, this is a club soda. Club soda. Oh, my. I really love the foam. And that will expand in the presence of seltzer. I feel like this, I mean, I, want I love my, so my much. kid, but I feel like this seems like a little too deluxe for him. It's too, too extra too for extra. Quinn? You don't, you don't want to do this? He is there a way? It. He would love the foam. Is there a way to make this a, uh, uh, you know, alcoholic with spike it with something? If you want to put like a vodka in there gin. or something, I would add gin. Gin. It's pretty. Uh, it's it's pretty close to um, a gin fizz subbing out. Uh, or it, it's very similar to a gin fizz that I removed the gin from and switched it for uh, hibiscus tea. Oh. So I think gin would be fine in there. I um. But then you're going to uh, – and if you're going to continue with the hibiscus root, I would take the hibiscus tea and freeze it into ice cubes and shake it with that so that you don't have to add tea and ice, which would double dilute it. Yes. So actually uh, I did a I drink where I made a Philadelphia Fish House punch where I did that, where I made tea into ice cubes and I used that for um, – uh, to shake the drink with because it's supposed to be made Here, let's tea. just share this. Oh, you guys want a second straw? Yeah. Oh, it's like straw. like Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> <laughs> you we guys Lady don't and the Tramp. We have to do it the same time now. Mm. Whoa. Mmm. Mm. All right. So this pink frothy drink has got like a. Uh, oh, I love the tea. Yeah, the hibiscus. You want a picture of that? Yeah, I do. I definitely <laughs> want to get a picture of that. Pretty cute. Uh, it's pretty cute. Love it. Mm. That's so good. That is delicious. And I'm digging the foam. Yeah. I really am kind of obsessed with the foam. I want all I my agree. drinks to have foam now. Yeah. Uh, also, this is drink. super cool. And this is great for kids, as you said, like having it yeah. be like a, I mean, I would just, I just came from a yeah, wedding a, a where there was a lot of kids under, under 21 who okay. were ordering 
Shirley Temples like crazy. Like, oh, I saw so many Shirley girls. Temples all over, and I was like, guys, what you, it's not even that. You know, I don't. No. I don't like, dislike Shirley Temples, but I was just like, why? Why is that the only one you're going to? There's a lot of different non-alcoholic drinks down there, and here's they one of them. They don't know. They don't know. What would they know? know? How do you, do you think a 12 year old has like a good mm-hmm. roster of non-alcoholic mm-hmm. drinks? Yeah, right. Now they should. This I, is one of them. Mm. I, uh, I grew up. But on this Shirley mead, though. Mm. Love those. You grew yeah, up. I, I grew up on Shirley. <laughs> See, that's how this all began. It is. Yeah, it's getting them used to the idea of making cocktails and enjoying them. Uh, there's a whole, um, what's his name? You know, it's a great book if you have kids. And actually, we were kind of exploring it when I did my Soda Jerk episode with my own daughter. Is Fix the Pumps, which is by Darcy O'Neill. It's a um, soft cover recipe book that is all about making um, and recovering kind of lost soda fountain drinks from, you know, the where you'd go down to the Soda Jerk and get yourself a malted or something. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they have recipes in there. Oh, it's a whole, the whole book is all re- it's a recipe book. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it's a, it's a super cool book for making non-alcoholic beverages. Um, I'm still trying to like. There's a whole movement right now happening in the mixology world around non-alcoholic drinks, and I'm trying to wrap my head around what I can do there that isn't making like soda. <laughs> I know that there's a, I know there's an answer, like because a lot of people are doing some pretty inv- innovative stuff. Um, and there's actually a whole category in the marketplace now of like non-alcoholic. I mean, they say spirit, but they're not spirits. Like they're non-alcoholic infusions. Um, Seedlip makes is one of them. Um, they make like a this exact looks exactly like liquor. It looks like gin, and it's basically a bunch of botanical flavors imbued into. It. There's a distillation process that does not yield alcohol. I, you know what, this is. This is a dead end. I'm done talking about that. <laughs> no, not at all. Because what's really interesting about what you said, is, and I want to ask you about, was how the, you, you mentioned there's like this mixology community of people who are doing things like that. And I want to ask how that compared or you know felt like the D and D community, and how there's all this kind of DIY way of like, oh, we want to even just you're you're talking about adding these this kind of ritual magic, and you're like, oh, it's it's it, it feels very similar. This whole DIY, we can put our own spin uh, creatively on you know something that's been around for hundreds of years. I never thought about that. Uh, that's very uh, insightful. <laughs> you are, that's awesome. Uh, way to go, Greg. Other Greg. Uh, Greg, uh, you know. Greg T. First, nope. First Greg. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Greg T. I. T. Nope. No. Greg oh, wow. T. I. T. Nope. We're brothers. Let's just say it. Yeah, my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, is it is it like that? Does does the 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 cocktail community like feel like they you know talk to each other and like do you see trends and like like you were describing? They probably are. They probably are. I, I like so I'm I'm kind of on the outside of that because I am I'm like a YouTuber first. I have not like I, I used to say it on my videos all the time, but people couldn't hear what I was saying. It's in New Jersey, we talk very fast. But like I, I <laughs> I've never been a bartender. I've never worked in a bar. Um, I have very tenuous connections to that world of professional mixologists. They do get together. I mean, like, yes, there is, you know, like, I don't know. It's probably a term for it, but like bartender Twitter that, you know, you're plugged into and you see everybody sharing ideas like that. And when a new bar does something that's really revolutionary, it gets written up about and spread around and, or a bartender does something that nobody else is doing. Uh, it will 
catch on and other people will do riffs on it and it spreads around like that. So there's that. There are conventions. There's it's much like Dragon Con, I guess, or Gen Con. They have down in New Orleans, there's Tales of the Cocktail. It's the exact same thing, just for oh, wow. alcohol. Oh, I, I didn't wanna, know yeah. that. I want to go. Yeah. Oh, right. Maybe we could do some D&D events there. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a big part of what, uh, you know, what, what we've been doing here at Dungeons & Dragons to try to communi- you know, find these communities and, and figure out a way that uh, the Dungeons & Dragons can inform and you know, elevate what, what that community is doing and, and you know, combine them. Forces like a Voltron. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But who's the head? <laughs> Who will be the head? Shelly. Probably. Yeah. 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 I agree. That makes sense. That's my favorite part of that. And I'll be the head. <laughs> uh, do we have another uh, cocktail? Or are we good? Uh, that's that's amazing. That's it from the D and D episode. Yeah. Then I will finish CP. drinking this because I was like, mm, I don't want to necessarily get like completely soused at two p.m. Pacific right. time. I mean, oh, I well, can't imagine while we're at work. Any other day, out. yeah. Well, I've not. I haven't eaten for like four days. So. Oh, oh. Greggy. <laughs> have- Hand this man an ice cube or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's the time for your ice cube. I'm trying to get in fighting shape. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I was on a really strict diet for five minutes, and then I had a film shoot where we shot for five days, and then that's just like all I eat are just like stacks. And stacks. <laughs> yep. You're going to be on camera again on Tuesday, so. Well, no. that's true. But yeah. the footage you got. I mean, oh, you're talking about the stream. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, because I'll be streaming. That's a good point. That's right. Yeah. But, so what are you trying to do? You're trying to make me self-conscious? <laughs> I am. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like the whole goal of the show. Right. Yeah. Like, you look uh, great. You look fabulous. Thanks very so, much. So the group, they're ready. They're, did you tell them that you're planning on live streaming these games? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a concern, too. You know, when you tell somebody that uh, people who I'd like to have play, I'm like, now, by the way, people are going to make fun of you because the oh. internet. Game. So just prepare yourself for that. Like, you want people to watch to be to be nasty to you. And so there was definitely at least one person who was like, ah, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else was like, bring it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, so um, I reached around. I, I put together. I, I did a lot. Of, it takes a lot. It's 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 a lot more work to put together this game than any other game I've ever done. Because I had to I had to find the players, I had to schedule it. I had to figure out all the tech stuff. I've been collecting cameras and microphones, and, and I just found out that I might need to. Some of the stuff I thought was going to work may not work the way I'd hoped. <laughs> well, you got the right skill sets to kind of combine yep. into into making this this uh, a reality. So I can't wait. What's the uh, what's the Twitch uh, channel uh, if you want to uh, get people to watch on Tuesday? Yeah, I'm Greg from HTD. That's it. Um, so if you guys anybody wants to check out my Twitch, that's what it is. It's Twitch.tv slash Greg from HTD. I'm excited to find out about this low magic, or you know, know. not necessarily low magic, but you know, uh, a, a strategic magic setting of swords and sandals. I think that's a really interesting flavor that I haven't seen a lot of. So, yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna. Pro- I'm probably gonna use like the lingering wounds rules and stuff like that too. Ooh. So it'll be a very gritty, misery-inducing setting. <laughs> so if there is one single cocktail that could best describe how this new campaign is going to be, what would it be? It's got to be the blood and sand, I think. Ooh, what's that? Uh, oh, that's like an excellent name for this campaign, you know, too. It's, I, I'm remembering. it's orange juice and I think rye, actually. It's not a terribly great cocktail, but the only reason it comes to mind is because it was invented to promote the film. Uh, the Yeah, it's uh, scotch, vermouth, and uh, orange. Uh, it's, <laughs> sorry. Uh, three quarters of an ounce blood orange juice, three quarters of an ounce sweet vermouth, three quarters of an ounce cherry hearing, and three quarters of an ounce blended scotch. So equal parts, all of those. 
shake it shake it up real good and pour it into a cocktail guess it was a drink that was invented to promote the uh silent film blood and sand but it does like that constant the, the the to me the name blood and sand carries such a uh, sword and sandals kind of connotation you know you think about spartacus and stuff like that. yeah so the gladiator totally. all those things yeah. uh yeah. otherwise um sounds like a know. good name for your show i, I agree <laughs> Maybe. That's true. I have to name it. I haven't thought about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm uh, really interested in, in finding out more about all that. It sounds like your strategic rules you're still working on, but I, it would be a really cool addition to something like they'll the definitely Dungeon be Master's ready by Tuesday. Yeah, they'll definitely be ready by Tuesday, and I'll, I will. As soon as they're perfected, I'll be submitting them to Dungeon Master's Guild. Absolutely. Sweet. Absolutely. And I can't wait to see this episode where we get to see you mixing up these drinks, even though yeah. Lisa did a fantastic job. Excellent. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Yay. sticky. <laughs> Don't clap too hard or your hands yeah. will stick, stick together, together forever. forever. It's part of, the, part of the job, right, Greg? That's like the one thing that you can't see in my show is how disgusting everything is. <laughs> 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 everything is covered in a thin the, sheen. The serps get real gooey. Serpy. Yep. Serpy. Yep, well, That's thanks for coming on. Uh, we really enjoy this. drinking all of your concoctions. They're delicious. I am going to figure out how to create this uh, tavern punch for uh, my Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign because uh, they own a bar, and uh, this seems like a great drink to have Aww, available. That's perfect, I think right? Yes. I think it'll be fantastic, man. And yeah. I want more. I want more folks out there to, uh, you know, not only you know, uh, create the recipes and do things like that, but add more of that flavor into your game. You don't necessarily have to just be. Pencils and dice and Cheetos, you can have, uh, you know, some interesting concoctions yeah. and kind of make it feel like you're, uh, you know, providing different senses for your players. I think that's really neat. Yep. The food Thank and you. drink of your, of your campaign world. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, the George Double R. Martin uh, advice. Oh, know? gosh. Like, you had paragraphs of, of pages, pages describing lamprey pies. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel like he used that just to get over like writer's block. He's like, let me just write about dinner. Yep. <laughs> Three pages of dinner. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Uh, so much fun stuff going on in your world. Uh, is there, uh, uh, we mentioned, uh, you know, the YouTube page as well as your Twitter, uh, uh, Twitch channel. Is there a Twitter handle or anything like that that people could pay attention sure. to? Sure. I appreciate that. I'm on Twitter at how to drink, uh, two being a number because somebody else had the TO version. Hmm. Um, and I'm on Instagram at How to Drink, but uh, my YouTube and my Twitch are probably the best places. To, well, my Twitter, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Pretty active. Awesome. Cool. I'm an active tweeter. You're an active D and Dr as well, uh, which we're excited about. Uh, I'm coming out of retirement, man. I hadn't, I haven't been in a game in a, in a couple of years, actually. So oh, I'm nice. really excited to run this, and it's my first fifth edition game too. So I'm super pumped. Well, I've played fifth edition. I haven't run fifth edition, so I'm super psyched. Me too. Super psyched. Great. You're going to do awesome. Uh, yep. roll, roll a nat 20 on your first DM stream. That was very generous of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great interview. I feel like I know everything about <laughs> mixing drinks. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we are completely <laughs> saucy today. <laughs> I feel like we should just go play uh, this uh, I, Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty yes. tabletop role-playing I game I feel adventure. like everything we learned on that, that interview lends itself real nicely to Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty. Morty, open another bottle. I got the maple syrup right here. Oh, Wait, there's no, a part sure. in the uh, Rick I and Morty. I maple syrup. <laughs> I forgot I was Morty. I was oh, like, jeez, oh, Rick. We were all like Rick clones for a second. I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You're just going to be a <laughs> 
add that uh, to my list. I will add that to um, uh, to the extra life menu of things that people Steve. can. Oh yeah, your hiccup. I'm gonna ask <laughs> Ben if he needs. Who is our guest next week? Next week we'll be talking to Benjamin ben, Looms. I'm gonna ask him. Do you need any hiccups? Uh, he always needs hiccups. <laughs> More importantly, like a why cure are for you hiccups. always one upping me? With your hiccups. <laughs> <laughs> you just, see how his hiccups had like a beginning and a middle and an end? <laughs> He's a storyteller. That beautiful little There's regular at the hiccups end. and then there's a hiccup with some condiments on top. <laughs> or you just put a little bit of extra pepper on there. Yeah. Wow. Like a- <laughs> Con- <laughs> condiments. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving right there, folks. Uh, speaking uh. of gifts, uh, you should buy this for everyone in your family. Yes. The Dungeons and Dragons Rick and Morty. Uh, tabletop role-playing game yep. adventure. It is out. By the time you're listening to this in podcast form, it is out now in all of the stores. Go get it. It's only in North America. Yes. Uh, so by all of the stores, I mean all the stores in, in that continent. Yes. Nice. Uh, check it out and uh, have some fun the with The black friend. market will be selling Rick and Morty D&D over the, uh, the, the yeah. Yeah. And uh, there is also a new season happening yes. at Rick and Morty too, right? Yeah. yeah. Started. Yep. So uh, that first recently. episode is out now. I'm sure you can Super sharp. watch it. Yeah. There was the first episode. We, we actually played it. We as played a, it. As it's a been like a two-year gap between seasons, and you wouldn't know it. You watch that episode, and you're just like, well, they're back at it. Jumped right in. Yeah, it's so good. That's so good. But um, this game is sort of, when I think of the Dungeons & Dragons versus Rick and Morty game box, it's like a condiment that you add to your uh. D&D <laughs> game. Like, it's just that extra bit of... That Devil's you can mustard add to a, you can just so put in there. Yes, my yes. favorite. Condiment. <laughs> Condiment. It's like the words, it's not even coming out of her. It's like separated somehow. I feel like there's like another mouth yeah. that uh, Shelly's actually talking from when she says condiment. It's like a mouth on her like, like shoulder a, or something like, a like that. Condiment. Kind of, we've, <laughs> we've all learned something today. Yeah, like have we? Sure. Yeah. Um, we probably have. Well, so I mentioned uh, that this is out already. Mm-hmm. Eberron, Rising from the Last War, is also out uh, on this same day. There are two covers. There's a standard cover you can get everywhere. It's available digitally everywhere. Uh, but there is a special alternate cover edition that is designed by... Uh, oh, crap. Vance? Vance Kelly. Wow. Designed by Vance Kelly. It is available only through game stores. It looks pretty glorious. You should check it out. Uh, it's got a nice, beautiful, soft cover. T- soft you know, finish Soft to touch. it. Soft touch. And if you use the surprise table in Eberron, let me know. Yes. It'll go real I far. I definitely think these tables <laughs> Mix need it in. to like, oh my God. translate to other games. I dig it. Sure. I want someone to do like a Rising from the Last Morty uh, Eberron mm. game. Aww. That's good. Let's do it. Uh, Jim, how can people get in touch with you and find about everything you're doing? Because right. this is like this one small yes. project yeah. you've been working on over the couple, last year. A couple things. Uh, so the easiest place is just uh, jimzub.com. So J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. That's sort of the hub site for everything I'm doing. Interviews, reviews. Why uh, didn't you call it Zubhub? The Zubhub? <laughs> at my Zubhub. You can, you can order Grubhub from Zubhub. Yep. Yes. You can. <laughs> With extra condiments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in fact, I insist. Uh, and I'm on uh, Twitter and, and everything else as Jim Zub. And so you can send me messages or photos of uh, your your young players holding the Young Adventures oh, Guides. Are so sweet. They're my favorite photos. Kids clutching those books, yes. Young Adventures Guides. Uh, so proud of them. We've got the regular D&D comic, so Infernal Tides is launching later this month. Oh uh, that's Max's, the, Max uh, Dunbar's tweet. artwork. Oh my gosh. They the look so good. Me. You are challenging his, uh, uh, his 
depth of field and everything. Oh and my it gosh, looks so good! It's a lot easier to write, you know, hey, draw the blood war than it is to draw the blood war. <laughs> he is nailing <laughs> he it. He is unbelievable. That yeah. guy is the best. So uh, Ed Troy Little's doing phenomenal stuff on the Rick and Morty D and D sequel called Painscape, which Volume is also two. coming out now. Yeah, it's going really well. Uh, and that's just on the D and D front. I'm doing other superhero stuff. And they just announced I'm taking over the reins of Conan the Barbarian. <gasps> I saw that. That's very yeah. in your wheelhouse. It's I know, fantasy. It's so good. So I get to kind of play with all the sword and sorcery toys. It's been a very, very uh, wild year. Kind of unbelievable. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And 2020 is going to be even bigger. Yeah. It's going to be wild. It's going to be great. Showing uh, how can people d- teach you how to pronounce words? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess they can't. <laughs> Probably not something they can do. It's you can like go talk to me at, at Twitter at Shelly Moo and tell me it's okay if you make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> it is okay. Uh, shout out, of course, to Shelly for uh, stewarding this entire process of creating this box set. That's right. You've done a fantastic job. That's right. Yeah. She has the scars to prove it. She does. It's like Barely. open mouths. This was an easy one. Such you guys a, made it too easy. I don't believe that for a second. It, honestly, it was. Wow. And everybody at Adult Swim was fantastic. Amazing. Everybody was so excited about it. I got it. Getting, getting uh, paid to make fun of D&D in a loving and stupid way has uh, been an absolute highlight. I think that's because it was the loving part was definitely yes. rang true. But oh, thank again, you. there was some actually... Very good advice in there. In between me taking <laughs> pot shots at corporate? Yeah, yes. yeah, it was good. Uh, speaking of corporate, you can go check out everything <laughs> about uh, Dungeons & Dragons at DungeonsAndDragons.com or download Dragon Plus to your mobile phones or access that con on uh, content on DragonMag.com. Lots of great stuff about this yes, product on the there in the new issue, uh, as well as Eberron and all the stuff to come. Uh, it looks really great. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Greg Tito or... Follow uh, Dungeons Dragons at Wizards underscore DND. And we have to roll on a table to try to get out of this big pain cave that we've been in. The pain cave. The pain cave. I don't want to get out of the pain cave. Let's just stay in here forever. Uh oh. Uh oh. (laughs) We all (laughs) die.